This is a Podfire production. Hi, I'm Ryan and welcome to the New Nirvana podcast, where we dive into everything to do with mental health and well-being. Anything that can improve your life, we're here to talk about. Alright, welcome to the New Nirvana podcast. Uh, this podcast this week is a little bit different, so we're going to hide the identity of this person. So she was involved in a, a domestic violence relationship, and so we're not going to say her real name for the purpose of um, still a little bit worried about get this story getting out. So um, I wanted to call her Karen, but she didn't <laughs> like that. Uh, so we're going to go with Haley. I think Haley's going to be the name <laughs> of this person today. So welcome, Haley. Welcome to the New Nevada podcast. I'm um, really excited to to get your version of the domestic violence, everything that you went through, uh, all the tools that you know allowed you to leave, get out the other side, and just any sort of uh, information or strategies or any way that you can help someone else that is in that situation. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's heaps of listeners out there that may be in one themselves or if they're not in a relationship, a uh, DVO relationship, they may know of someone that is and they can then help support that person uh, the best way possible through your learnings and teachings that you're going to provide today. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Good to be here and be able to actually tell the story without people knowing who I am. Cool. So I can be honest and. Can I change mine? Can I be Brian too? Yeah. Just something, you know? Brian and Karen. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for coming along. I know this is going to be a first for you. Like to really dive into your story uh, wholeheartedly, you know, not leave out anything uh, for worry or concern for your for yourself. Um, so, yeah, I, this could be a bit of a, uh, a journey for yourself, being able to, to say all these things. But, yeah, uh, yeah I think we, we start from the start, right? And we just, we start, um, start with your childhood. So how was, how was growing up for you? Oh, and we're going that all the way back. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my childhood, so still I have to leave some stuff out here. <laughs> my childhood was really great. Um, had a great relationship with my dad. Loved him. He was my best mate. Um, early early on, though, some of, the, some of the things that happened in my childhood and teen years, I believe, led me straight into the arms of my abuser. So I'll just cover a few of those things. So when I was around six or seven, an elderly neighbour um, used to come like frequent our house and uh he see there's things still I can't say <laughs> it's gonna give me away but um there was a pastime that I really loved and he kind of wormed his way into um my dad's favors by offering to teach me how to do this pastime that I really loved and he would he would turn up to um take me on these excursions as an older man, he was in his 70s. Yeah. Um, and my dad would send me off, you know, with a smile and have fun. And, and I was really excited on the first day that it happened. And um, it became, like, very quickly escalated into him sexually abusing me. Um, I remember the first day that he brought me back and gave me back to my dad. I kind of, my, my feet hit the ground and I ran straight into the house and he in the bedroom and I remember my dad's feet thundering up the hallway <coughs> excuse me um coming to get me out of my room and 
grabbing me by the back of the shirt and telling me how disappointed he was in me that I didn't say thank you to this man who just abused me. Of course, my dad didn't know what had happened. Yep. Um, and he kind of pushed me the whole way back outside and said, get back out there, you're an ungrateful little girl, how dare you treat somebody like that? Like he's gone out of his way to help me out and do me a favour and you've been so rude and ungrateful. So all of those words, ungrateful, rude, um, like that he was disappointed in me mm. um, for not, you know, welcoming this man into my life. So I was forced to go out and face this man and thank him for what he'd done. So I think that was a huge, um, like that led me into being uh, just accepting of the wrongful behaviour towards me as I grew up. Mm. I find it really uh, interesting that like when you talk about this, you're talking about the memory and it sounds to me like it, the actual abuse wasn't even the worst part. The worst part was having to go out and thank him for it. Like, yes. you, you know what I mean? Like, so the actual abuse was not even as bad as, as your dad's reaction, as your, you know, as the, yeah, his reaction to, to you and, and for you to have to go face this person and be grateful for, for what he had done. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really uh, important because then that's the memory, you know, that's the, um, well, that's the neurocircuitry that, that you remember and that's that then was going to lead on to, to this behaviour that's going in, in your later. I, I should, yeah, I know your story, so that's why I'm thinking, so I'm going to let you keep going. <laughs> but, yeah, I find that really interesting that, yeah, it wasn't so much the, the act, it was more the, yeah, the after. I haven't thought of it like that, but mm. it's it's very true because, mm. and I don't know if you picked that up because that was what I focused on, but, yeah. I yeah, well, that's exactly, um, I've spoken to you about this before because uh, I obviously know you uh, for a little bit of time. And yeah, I I just picked up on that myself. Like this is the um yeah, this is the second time I've heard you tell this, and both times you've focused on on, yeah, on that part of it, not the actual abuse part of it. Yeah. Um, which and means that's that's the that's the memory that's the memory that's stuck in your mind. Yeah, you know I mean that's the that's the big kicker. That's the one that created the the most power in your brain, and that's what sort of molded you now. Uh, into a certain way of thinking. Uh, I know that you've been able to change this now, but for uh, a long period of time, that's what's moulded certain relationships, certain behaviours, um, certain coping mechanisms when it comes to uh, abuse and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think because my dad was such a huge force in my life because I loved him so much, the fact that I disappointed him in that moment and mm. I think I think that may have led on to me not wanting to disappoint men that I loved in my in my future because, you know, I knew how angry they could be if I disappointed them. So and he was angry. Mm. He was super angry. <laughs> so um, mm. it was a huge. I I actually remember that that anger from him more than I actually remember the abuse. Mm. Like it's kind of cloudy, and I can remember bits and pieces, kind of flashbacks, like a dream of of what happened with the the actual abuse. Yeah, but the stuff with dad is like raw, real. Mm. I can remember every bit exactly how it felt and everything like that. Yeah, so and that's 
Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. So that's the that's the most prominent memory for you, and that was where your emotion was at its highest. So uh, no, I don't know if you know much about how memories work. So that's how memories work. So if I asked you what you ate for lunch two weeks ago, you'd be like, I fucking don't know. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> how am I supposed to know that? But you can remember that. You're six years old. So why do you remember that? So the higher your emotion or state at any point in time means that you will be able to remember it more because you've created more emotions. So that's why anyone that has any traumatic event, they're like, boom, yesterday. I can, you know, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, so it almost, your brain almost takes the snapshot of that trauma or whatever it is and then instills that because that's like, this was the most pain, this was the most danger or whatever. We need to remember this so then we never put ourselves in this mm. situation ever again, right? Yeah. And that's where the coping me- mechanisms come in. Yeah. That's where the behaviour comes in. Yeah. So, um, Your brain's yeah. way of protecting you from that happening again. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think for the listeners to keep that in mind when she goes on and talks more about your story because that that's very important because that's what's created the behaviours and the coping mechanisms after that. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> so following through (laughs) um when i was in my early teens i had a boyfriend who just happened to be this older man who had molested me's um grandson Mm. i didn't put that back like i didn't put that together back back then because i kind of this this older man lived up the road from us i didn't really even know until i was probably in my 30s that that guy had been his granddad it was weird but um i was dating this guy and because he he wanted to have sex and I wasn't ready and probably because of the abuse that I'd had as a child. Yeah. Um, so how old were you, sorry? I would have been um, 14. Yeah. 14, nearly 15. And he was the same age or older? Uh, he was older. Yeah. And kept pushing it on me and um, there's more to this story with this other girl that was trying to steal him off me that made rumours up and stuff like that, but I won't go into that. But um, Oh, who doesn't like an <laughs> old high school cat fight? Come on, <laughs> fill us in with juicy details. Oh, okay. <laughs> she moved into, so we, oh, I'm giving too much away. <laughs> we, um, I lived rurally um, and she'd moved into the area and she took a liking to my boyfriend and she had made up this rumour that I had slept with somebody else. Um, which I obviously hadn't because yep. I didn't want to have sex yet. So that had definitely not happened. But she told my boyfriend that this had happened. And then um, I came home one day um, from school and he used to he used to put me on his motorbike and ride me home from the bus stop. Yep. And that was a regular occurrence. But this day uh, he took a shortcut through, there was a like a line of, trees that have been taken out to put power lines through and there's kind of a shortcut to my house that he never took any other time but he said oh we'll take a shortcut today and so he rode down through the bush and into this creek and pulled me off his motorbike and raped me and said if um like you won't sleep with me that you sleep with this other person and um yeah pretty much and he was a big boy so it was i was Anyway, let's <laughs> not go into that. But anyway, um, I had to walk home then um, and my parents weren't home. Not that I would have told them anyway because you didn't talk about sex in our household. That was something that was very taboo <coughs> and you didn't you didn't swear. I had a very religious mum. 
Yeah. That was off off topic. Um, and I think probably because of what had happened with my dad earlier, there was no way I would have told him about it either. So I kept that a secret as well. Mm. Uh, then I continued to go to school and this... So, you did, so I just want to clarify here. So you, you didn't feel comfortable telling your dad or your mum about the, like, the dude that molested you? Yeah. And when this happened, you didn't feel comfortable telling... Like, so what was your thought processes on why you couldn't tell them? Like, t- Walk me through what was going through your head on both instances for you to come up with... It's better to not say anything. I think uh, I think with the first situation, I was already in so much trouble um, for being ungrateful and uh, this terrible little girl. Mm. Um, I can't even begin to tell you what was going through my head back then, but I'm sure it was fear because I was already in so much trouble. There's no way. And you that thought I that would, would get you into more trouble by saying yeah. something. And then and then later in the abuse, he would tell me that if if your dad finds out about this think you love me more than him so we can't tell him this is just our special relationship yeah so there was a lot of manipulation on his part as well and because i love my dad so much there was no way i wanted him to think i love this other man more than him yeah okay yeah especially when i didn't like i was afraid to have him come near me yeah yeah so that was that was what was around that and i don't know whether it was a learnt behavior by the time i got to the next stage to this next situation but I certainly knew not to mention sex in front of my mum. I thought she would probably blame me and say it was my fault that it happened. I shouldn't have gotten into that situation or um, she didn't even know I had a boyfriend. Yeah. So it wasn't something that I could just say, hey. It's so interesting because uh, I do – I've obviously looked into this field quite a bit um, with my own experiences and stuff like that and also, you know, followed a lot of people when it comes to to trauma and, and stuff like that. But a big theme is is uh, what you're saying. So a big theme of it is people, is children blame themselves. Like, it must be my fault. Like, I deserve this. And it's, I don't know what, like, why we do that. Um, I haven't sort of um, come up with any answers or found any answers, but, it is definitely a common theme that children, when in this situation or have some sort of trauma, their brain automatically goes, my fault. Like, oh, I can't say anything, it's my fault. You know, or it has to be my fault, so I'm definitely not going to say anything. So I'll, I'm wondering now where there's a lot of awareness now around, you know, not jumping in with strangers or whatever, blah, blah. But there needs to be an awareness around if something like this does happen, it's not your fault. Right, like, because that's the big issue is people won't say anything because they're scared. You know, so I think there needs to be more awareness around if it does happen, it's not your fault. The best thing to do is talk. You know, I mean, communication. And for you, like, you know, there's two times now where you didn't talk, and you know, if you did, who knows what could have come up. And I, I, would I be right in saying that if you did, do you think they would have? Um, responded positively towards you and, and taking you seriously or, you know, or do you think, you know, I mean, like looking back on it now, yeah. it would have been best to talk? Absolutely as an adult, yeah, now looking mm. back on it, especially that with that first one. Had I said that, I God, I'd hate to think what my dad would have done. 
Yeah. Like, my dad went to his grave not knowing this. I didn't tell my mum about it until I was in my 40s. And she was just, she was beside herself just that I'd kept that secret for all of those years mm. and that that man could have done that and what, what they could have done about it had I said something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what what was your mum's reaction like if she said, did she say what she would have done if you did tell her back then or what was her? So obviously it would have been. Oh, she was just in shock. She was in absolute shock over the fact that this guy had just kept coming back and the way he groomed me and, and manipulated my dad to allow it to happen and all of that sort of stuff. Like that guy was long <coughs> and gone, um, <coughs> probably around my 20s, he'd, he'd passed away. Yeah. Um, but still for another 20 years after that, even after he died, I didn't feel safe to say anything to my friends. Really? So, so, well, obviously, you know, you're an adult at this stage. He has passed on. <coughs> Why was your thinking still not to say anything? Like what? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe because it was ingrained in me from so such a young age that my dad wouldn't love me if he found out. Because there's no way I would have told my dad. No way. Yeah. Like I didn't tell mum until after my dad died. Mm. So I think I think that fear and what he instilled in me as a child stayed with me for all those years that I never ever wanted to say anything until after my dad was gone. Yeah, wow. So do you think that is uh it's some sort of uh like self-worth but more abandonment? Like some type of thinking, you know, like you didn't want to have that abandonment from your dad because you love your dad yeah, so much. Yeah. And maybe I felt that our relationship would change if he'd known, if he knew. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. So, so once again, you're, you, I mean, your your thinking is still going back to my fault. You know what I mean? Or I'm the one that's gonna ruin. You know what I mean? But yeah. you didn't do anything, right? Yeah. So it's I, and this is what I mean. The theme around this stuff is always my fault like you know, i don't know how that is getting instilled and i don't know um we don't i don't know if we even know enough about psychology yet for kids and like so why we tend to fall back on you know, i mean it's our fault but you know even in your 20s you're still you're still going back to that same 40s still 40s still, <laughs> there you go still thinking it yeah and even thinking you know will i think maybe as i got older it was more about would my dad blame himself and mm. would he feel bad that, that he allowed that to happen to me as well? That that kind of came into it a little bit more as I got older. Yeah. Yeah. So and I didn't, and I wanted to protect him from that, not feeling that it was his fault. Yeah, okay. So that so that shifted, you know what I mean? So as the child, you know what I mean? You're me, but then that kind of shifted. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually wanted to go do more research on this now and, yeah. and find out exactly what it is about children, why we tend to want to blame ourselves. Um, but yeah, anyway, keep it's going. Definitely, it's definitely that silence that we have to break down. We yeah. have to break that culture of silence that's keeping these kids from saying stuff. Because like, I, I look at the Me Too movement that it just took that one brave woman to stand up and say, this happened to me. And she brought down a pretty powerful man with that, that all these other women started coming forward and saying, yeah, well, that happened to me as well. But they'd kept silent for all those mm. years and never said a word until one person decided to speak. So I think when we we train kids to speak up and talk about this stuff and say that it's okay and it's safe to, they've got a safe space to talk about things yeah. and open that dialogue up around those important issues, I think that's when 
kids are going to feel safe to talk and then we can start working on issues a bit more. 100%. So I'm not, um, I'm not a parent myself, but I think like what, from all the stuff that I've read and seen and, and talked to and people like yourself, I think one of the biggest things I'll be installing in my kids is I don't care what happened. I mean, you can t- – and but not only just say that to the kids, when they do come to you with something, you need to then honour that and go, well, I'm not going to get upset if they come yep. to me because they – smashed a window so or whatever or they did something where they actually you know you might get frustrated and you cannot then say that and then get upset because you've told you know i mean and then developing that trust on you know it doesn't matter what happens doesn't matter who's involved or whatever and but yeah not just have not just say that as lip service because you want them to but actually then backing that up by if they ever do come to you of stuff you need to then learn your uh, emotional control and regulation and work on your EQ or your emotional intelligence to then be able to be calm and, and not get upset and not get frustrated not because then you'll break that trust and when something is as big as something like this like do you feel like if your parents did push more that into you would that be able to you might, you might have been able to speak I don't know yeah definitely but I even if not like yeah. your chances of speaking would have been higher at, at very least you know yeah, yeah. The fact that my mum was so religious and, and so many topics were off the table, um, it made it impossible to talk. Um, she was very strict as well, so I wasn't allowed to do anything. So if I did do something, I did it secretly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, that, that in itself opened me up to getting in a lot of trouble that I wouldn't have gotten into if I had been able to tell her where I was going and not have to lie about staying at a friend's house mm. or something like that. Not that I was planning to do anything wrong, but but the fact that she didn't know where I was if something did go wrong and that was out of me having the fear to tell her the truth. 100%. So that really strict parenting it can really backfire on you. And that's something that I that resonates with me. Uh, my parents are very strict as well. And it or same thing, like if I wanted to go to a party, I just didn't even ask because I knew the answer was going to be no. Yeah. All my friends were going. So then I would sneak out drive my motorbike in like danger, you know I mean? Like in the dark, you know, yeah, yeah. doing it. I was in way more danger doing the, what I was doing as, as opposed to them going, okay, we're going to let you go. You know, then I'd have to buy my own drinks cause they wouldn't, you know I mean? Then I could buy whatever I wanted as opposed to them giving me a certain amount of drinks and they could monitor my amount of drinking as well. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that type of parenting or helicopter parenting or whatever you want to call it just does, just does not work. Uh, it may work on certain individuals and certain um, personality types, but for someone like us, a bit of rebels, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, that does not work on us. Like, we're just going to go, nah, we'll go, yeah, we're going to get to that party either way. You either take yep. us safely or, you know I mean, I'll get my mate to pick me up drunk on a motorbike or something, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's yeah, exactly. what we used to do like, yeah. because we weren't allowed. Uh, so I think that is really important. And like I said, I'm not a parent, so... I do get in trouble by talking about parenting tips and stuff when they're like, well, you're not a parent. But You've had a parent, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that is uh, definitely a big one. And I think uh, people, we need to learn to uh, not bubble wrap people in, in children because you're not setting them up for, for life. You're not setting them up for... But the world's cruel. The world's unfair. The world is not fair. It never will be. Never was. And 
Yeah, I mean, if you're going to protect them or what you think is protecting them from the big bad world, then they're going to go out into the bad world without any coping mechanisms at all because they've just been bubble wrapped, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, uh, exactly. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. So it's kind of it's kind of good that I had such a strict mum that they did all those things to me because then when I became a parent, I completely flipped the switch and nothing's off topic for me and my kids. Like we talk about everything. Yeah. Um, and they've never, ever held anything back from me. Like if they want to go to a party, I allow them, but I, you know, I give them rules or whatever and maybe they... They, you know, step over the rules, but I know exactly where they are. If they have a problem, they'll come home and they'll tell me mm. straight away and then I can help them fix it. Yeah. Okay, so um, I don't think I've asked you this before. So you've got kids. Yeah. Uh, has your kids ever come to you with any sort of uh, sexual abuse or anything like that or no? Um, my daughter was drugged at a party. Um, and I, I really believe that if I wasn't as open as I was, her friends, her friends, um, brought her home to me, um, in the state that she was. Um, and I was very friendly with all of their friends as well. So they knew that how open I was with everything. So there, there was never any fear for them to just turn up on my doorstep with this girl who was drunk and, and drugged. Mm, um, that's real important. She was she was about to be dragged into a car by these boys, <coughs> and they'd fought them off and got her away from them, and yeah, and brought them straight back to my house, brought her straight back to the house, um, and knocked on the door and you know delivered her to me. And if that if if they hadn't known that I was a strict parent, that I didn't know she was at the party, that I wouldn't be okay for them to just openly come to the door. They could have tried to deal with that situation themselves. Mm. She could have. She could have died. She was in a really, really bad way. She could have died. Um, so if they had a, tried to deal with that themselves and maybe like keep her in the car overnight so that I didn't find out or, or um, you know, God knows where they would have taken her if they couldn't bring her back to the house. But they probably would have been too scared to take her to the hospital, which is what I did. Yeah. Um, like kids wouldn't think they they would be too scared that they would get in trouble. Or get in trouble. Or Same thing. It's I'm in tr- yeah, yeah. So that's the. So the I, so again. I completely believe that, you know, that could have saved my daughter's life that night. The fact that they were they were okay to bring her back to me. Yeah, that's very powerful, and that's something I know for me personally. Like if I ever got in trouble, like there's no way none of my friends would take me back to my parents because no, they knew what my either. parents are like. Like yeah. my mum was very very strict. Uh, but I had I have a mate. Um, Eddie and his dad was like cool, like he was, you know, I mean, like one of us. Like I remember, we had a party at uh, his place, and we were like fourteen all the time, or whatever. And he comes down, and goes, "Come here, all you little boys!" Or we come, over, <laughs> all right. So there's some light beers in the fridge, all right. So don't go too crazy. I'll be keeping eye on you, and. And if you do get lucky, there's some condoms up in the cupboard, right? So, you know, make sure you use them, you know? We're like 14 years old. Going, what? You know, my parents would never even be. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? And so a strict parent might listen to you saying that and be like, oh, my God, that's so irresponsible. But the thing is, you, we would you done, would we would done doing, it anyway. You would have been drinking the heavy beers. Yeah. You would have gone and had sex without a condom yeah. anyway. 100%. So, so being safe like that isn't, isn't enticing kids to do the wrong thing. No. No, and, that, and that's the thing. And he knew that we will. It's giving them a safe space to to yeah. experiment and do those things in a safe space. And we would have been doing them anyway if, if he didn't let yeah. us. We just, exactly. like I said, we just would have done them down the street or whatever. Yeah. And, and in a park. 
Yeah, and we never felt, I never felt like I couldn't go to him. Like I felt like I could have went to him with stuff more than my own parents and he wasn't even my parent, you know. Um, So I think that was. um, And you need adults in your life like that that you can open up to and tell things to because there's not a lot of them out there. No. Uh, Well, not in our day anyway. (laughs) Maybe it's changing now, but back then definitely not. A bit different, yeah. Yeah. I know about you. What you're talking about? I'm still 21, so I'm, we're not. <laughs> 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 nah. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so th- that's. I think that's a really important um, learning. Not trying to tell people how to uh, live their life or how to parent their children, but I think that's something that we need to be aware of. Is if you want your kids to come to you in a time of need and you want that trust, then you've got to, you know, build it. Yeah, build the trust and, and and let and let them go a little bit. And the thing that um, I think Joe Rogan talks about it a lot is in your mind you think you're protecting them, you think you're doing the right thing, but you're not. You're absolutely not doing the right. So that needs to change that level of thinking of, well, if I can protect them from this, but you can protect them now. But essentially, all you're doing is just making them. Um, not learn themselves, which means when they do learn it, generally the lesson's going to be 10 times harder because they haven't been able to learn it. And, yeah, with that helicopter parenting where kids might be not the rebel and they are doing exactly what the parents tell them to, when they do get out in the real world and they are exposed to these things and they haven't been able to experiment and learn how to deal with those things, then they're an adult trying to learn these things. Mm. And it's it's kind of held them back. 100%. Yeah. Definitely. Because you learn from your mistakes, right? So oh, yeah. That's to, why I should, be, I, should be make f- I should be a freaking genius, the amount of mistakes <laughs> I've made. <laughs> the amount of learnings I've had to have over my <laughs> life. Uh, uh, so, yeah. Okay, so, so, moving along. So, you had the sexual abuse when you were five or six or however old that was. And then you were raped by who just happened to be the grand... Grandson. Son, that's yeah. the word I was looking for, <laughs> thank you. Uh, the grandson of the dude that did the molesting. And I know I've spoke to you about this before, is then I start to wonder, like, is that a generational thing? Like, was did his granddad, you know, do something to his dad or whatever? And then that was then passed on yeah. down. And that way, is that why he then had that behaviour or had that... Um, was he just then passing on what was done to him because he didn't know better? You know, he was would have been 15, 16 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he wasn't really an adult, but that makes no excuse. He was still at an age where he knew it was right and wrong. But, um, yeah, I'm not saying that was the case, but that's where my head goes with it. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so moving... Moving along, if there's anything you want to add. Along. so Anything you want to add on that one or are you going to keep, you can keep going? No, but I'll go from where that led me. So that experience led me to this girl who'd set up this rumour, also told the girlfriend of the guy that she made up that I had slept with, um, that I'd slept with him as well. So then I, I had girls at school throwing stuff at me, spitting at me, calling me a slut, um became really difficult to be at school so um plus I had to face him every day as well yeah so I wanted to leave school and my mum being strict didn't want me to leave school unless I had a job she said if you can get a job you can leave and I was only just old enough to get a job so um I started to apply for jobs in the paper back in the paper days (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> showing my age. Um, found this job that I thought would be perfect for me. Um, went for the interview, met met the guy and his wife, and they were lovely, and they wanted me to start straight away. So I started actually the next day. Mum was like, yeah, okay, I'm happy for you to leave school if you get a job. So I started the job the next day. Um, the wife wasn't there. I was a bit of a tomboy, so I'm not going to tell you what the job was, but it was like a kind of a, a, a very man-heavy environment. Um, and I remember the very first day I had a I had they gave me the uniform was like a, a nurse uniform with the zip down the front. Yeah. And on the very first day the boss walked in, his wife wasn't there, and he walked in and he unzipped the zip down. Like, you know, so my boobs were out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. And he he came up to me and lifted the hem of the skirt up and said, You need to put the skirt up to here tonight. You need to hem up your skirt. There's only one reason you're here, and that's to attract customers. So I learned really quickly that once again I was being like it, – it's kind of like you get this thing in your head that you're just um, like a sex object. There's mm. it's, your only, it's your only value in life. Yeah. Is that like <coughs> men after men – abuse you and take advantage of you then you start thinking that that's all you're good for yeah um that hadn't happened yet but like progressively on with this job that's how it became because the men back back then like this was in the 80s and women were very sexualized in the 80s it was very accepted that men treat women like that back then yeah so the wife was okay with it or she wasn't there she wasn't she wasn't there she was part owner in the business but she was never there yeah she'd pop in every now and then and was really lovely to me but she was never there. Like the the smoker room I remember was plastered with Playboy pictures, like full frontal <laughs> Playboy pictures, which was like... Even I remember that. It's yeah. not allowed now. No, But no back way. then that was perfectly fine for me yeah. to sit and eat my lunch <laughs> with vaginas looking at me from every wall. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's very accepted that you just get treated like that and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but that very quickly progressed into him touching me inappropriately. If he'd walk past, he'd grab me, um, like he'd hold me around the waist to get past and push himself too close to me and stuff like that. And then that progressed into him actually coming up to me. I was down this dark alley at the back of the shop this day putting stock away and he came up behind me and pushed himself up against me um, and started just putting his hand down my the front of my dress and up my skirt and whispering in my ear that, this is, I can't remember the exact words, but it was pretty much, this is part of your job now and you won't be telling anyone about this. Yeah. Um, so how old were you? So you left school at, how old I were you was, at this stage? I was 15. Yeah. So very young, scared, had already been taught not to open my mouth about stuff that was going on. He was, he, he like this, this continued to happen and got increasingly more aggressive with his sexual advances on me. Yeah. Over the this this happened within the first two weeks that I was there. Yeah. Um he was one of the Freemasons in town. Um and made his his status in town very um like would remind me of it and tell me that if I left or I said anything that I'd never work ever again in that town. Yeah. 
and it was a small town, so I was pretty worried about, you know, because my mum said, you lose, lose, this, lose this job, you need to go back to school. Yeah. So it was either stay and be raped at work or go back to that school environment that I tried to escape from. Yeah. So, um, so I stayed because I was threatened that if I left, things would go badly. So, and I knew I couldn't stay in uh, like school forever. I eventually would have to be in work, and if he stops me from ever getting a job, then then what? So, and I didn't know what to do. Like I didn't, I didn't have parents to talk to about it. Um, so I just, I had no one to talk to. I had no. So you didn't, did you have any friends or anything or that was just... I did, but I didn't tell them either. I don't know why. I don't know whether that was learnt, learnt behaviour that you just keep this stuff to yourself. You just Mm. be thankful this guy's Was there any like shame or guilt or anything surrounding that or or you're not Um, sure? I don't know, to be honest. I don't know that I felt shame. I knew it wasn't my fault. Mm. Yeah, I think it was just learnt behaviour to just shut up and be grateful for what mm. you're given. Just deal with you it know, yourself. I had a job, I was earning money, I wasn't having to go to school. I yep. was saving money. I I was really driven to buy my first house early, so I was saving money. Yeah, and is it because of like his power and obviously your age and everything? Like, did you think to just say, like, this is not right, like, I'm not doing this? Or were you just like, oh, that'll lose my job, so I just can't? Yeah, it was definitely his power because I knew, I knew I really had no, I had no power in that situation at yeah. all. I just had to stand there and take it. Yeah. And then that progressed into him actually raping me, and that became a daily occurrence, every day. He would lead me off to the men's toilets and lock us in, or he would take me out into the back room and lock us in, and then I actually even fell pregnant to him, and was sent off. Cry telling you this. He sent me off to have an abortion by myself. By this stage, I was over sixteen. Um, so you didn't need a parent to be there at that stage for that. Um, I actually got my sister, so I confided in her and told her what was happening. And she actually came and pretended there was no computers or anything back in this day, so it was a bit easier to pretend stuff back then. So she pretended she was my mother and took me to have the abortion. But he kind of threw money at me and said, go and sort this out, go and deal with it. And then there was no checking in on my mental well-being or my my health or anything after the procedure. It was just like, well, did you sort it out? He was he was worried about his yeah his safety of being caught, him losing his marriage or yeah. whatever, or getting out. That's it. that's his only concern in that situation was his self-preservation. It was never about me. No, what had happened to me. Yeah. Um, and I quickly went downhill after that when I went back to work and he continued because I thought, well, now this is going to happen again. Um, and there was no protection used. And his wife at the time used to come into the business and she'd talk to me and she would confide in me that she was trying to get pregnant and she couldn't fall pregnant. And I that's where the guilt came in because I felt... Being young and not understanding how the body worked or anything, mm. I used to think this guy's wasting all of his sperm on me, and he's got none left for her, and that's why she's not getting pregnant. So I had all of that guilt over her. She'd cry to me that she couldn't fall pregnant, and I just felt so sick and 
and guilty about what was going on and I wanted to tell her but I knew I couldn't. Yeah. <coughs> so and what did your sister say? Did she tell you you should tell someone or was she kind of... She was, she yeah, she was like, you need to get out of that job and I told her the situation like what he told me. She, um, she wasn't that much older than me so she wasn't, you know, hugely helpful in the situation. But yeah. Um, was it was it an option there to sort of like to move, or you're too young, I suppose, to even want to move to a place where there's more opportunity I, for work and there was absolutely no opportunity for me to move at that age. No, yeah, there was no way I could move; just pick up and go. Yeah, because I wa- I didn't even have a license yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's still yeah, fifteen, yeah. sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. So um. There was pressure put on me by my sister to leave. Um, then there was all that guilt from his wife and the story she was telling me. And there were still threats coming from him that he, he started making up stories that he would tell people if I left um, to make sure I didn't get another job, mm. and which he did do <laughs> when I left. But there was I, my mental health started going downhill really quickly. It's crazy. That. like So someone like that has got the the fortitude or the gumption to to then go around and say that when he clearly knows that you can say something way worse about I him know. like and how do they yeah but, it's but I think in the 80s people didn't there was there was no such thing as rape cases or sexual harassment was never they hadn't even invented that word yet that wasn't a thing yeah sexual harassment in the workplace wasn't a thing back then because every I guarantee if you spoke to every woman my age, she could tell you a story of sexual harassment in the workplace. It was just commonplace. People just did it. And yeah. It was accepted and men laughed about it. They thought it was funny. Like he, he would walk past me and touch me and the other men in the workplace would laugh and, you know, like, yeah, mate, good on you kind of stuff. Yeah, like it yeah. was nothing. Like it was just a funny, yeah, yeah, at my expense. And almost like not in a mean way to me, but like, you know, I just accept that and think that that was okay. Yeah. That, that was just normal. Well, that was that, that's that power play too, you know what I mean? To know that you can just do that yeah. whenever and yeah, it's totally acceptable. Yeah. But yeah, so after, after the abortion, I, my mental health went really downhill. Um, and I, I had these Mormons at the time. Mormon missionaries from America used to pop in and see me all the time. And, oh, hey, they were trying to convert me. Yeah. And I used to chat to them and um, used to thank God, um, there's no way I'd walk in a church. It would fall down. Yeah. That's what I used to think to myself. Like it'd be hit by lightning or something if I walked in there. Yeah. Um, and and they used to tell me, you know, oh, and they were really pushing pushing this on me that I should get baptised and become a Mormon and how great it is. What were your parents? What, what religion were your parents? Well, my mum was a Mormon, see? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, she would have loved it then. Yeah, just yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was that, like that that power play in my head, like I'm going through all of this shit and I'm going downhill and I've got these Mormons that want me to become a... And it was like my head was just about to explode and I was just so scared to be in this workplace anymore. Um, I was scared of getting pregnant again. And you would have thought after that he still would have, like, wore protection or something, like, you know what I mean, yeah. after, yeah, but, no. but nah, nothing changed on that I front. think he felt safe because his wife wasn't being getting pregnant, that he maybe thought that 
I don't know that he was safe, but once yeah. once he'd gotten me pregnant, I don't know where his headspace was after that. But there was there was a particular day when he came and he approached me, and I knew it was going to happen again. And this this was in this little dark back room again, and he pushed me up into the corner, and I just lost my shit. And like I must have I must have been having a breakdown. It's the only thing I can describe it as but I was shaking like physically shaking mm. and he pushed me up into the corner um and was trying to kiss me and stuff and I was like trying to pull away from him because I was in the corner I've like slid down the wall onto the ground till I was sitting yep. on the ground trying to get between his legs and he was stopping me and I remember just curling up in the fetal position and just just shaking and crying uncontrollably and screaming for him to let me go and get off me. And he was like, he panicked and he was like, get up, get up, shut up. Like telling me to shut up. Yeah. Like pulling me to my feet to try and control me because there were other people around that could have heard me. Yeah. And he, I, I saw the panic in his eyes. He was scared. Like he was probably thinking, holy shit, she's a loose cannon now. Anything yeah. can happen. <laughs> and um, so... I um I got away from him and I ran out the back door to my car, which I had a license by this stage. I'd only just gotten my license. And I ran to my car and I got in and he ran. He chased me to the car. And I, like, slammed the doors and locked it and I pulled out and he was chasing the car saying, get back here. And I've just taken off. And I was, I was just hysterically crying and, like, could barely see the road through my tears and, you know, welt-up eyes. Yeah. And I remember... I drove down this road and there was a there was a intersection crossing. Yeah. And you had to stop there because uh, it was kind of like a highway where cars came really fast. There was a stop sign there. And I seen this semi trailer coming and I was just I just wanted to die at that moment. I had wanted to die for like weeks leading up to this, but in that moment I just didn't want to be there anymore. I saw this truck coming, sorry. Take a moment. That's all right. Take your time. I saw this truck coming and it was like barreling along. And I was like, if I drove out in front of this truck, it would be over mm. and I wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. So I just drove out and I turned the car off and I just sat there with my eyes shut waiting for this truck to hit me. And I was in that moment just so happy. Like I, I felt actually happy that it was that done. That was over. It was done. Mm. There was no thought in my head about the truck driver, which, like, at this age, there's no way I would do anything like that. And I think the people that do that, it's like I feel for the truck drivers and things like that. But at that moment and the age that I was and the state I was in... But you're not I thinking about in, that, you know what I mean? All you want is the pain to be gone. So all rationale of, of that, it doesn't even enter the mind, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, you just want it to be over, yep. yeah. So anyway, I'm sitting there with my eyes shut and then I hear the screeching of the tyres and I was, I remember thinking this is it, this is it and then the sound stopped and I opened my eyes and I looked out and this, the bull bar of the truck was up against my window like this and the guy was climbing out of his truck screaming abuse at me and I thought I can't even kill myself right, like, yeah. And I started the car and I just took off because I couldn't, uh, in the state I was in, there was no way I could put up with the abuse from this truck driver as well. So I took off and that kind of turned into 
police driving all over town trying to find me and stuff. I drove straight to my sister's house and she's told me, like, I can't, I can't completely remember, but I do remember getting to her house and she was asking me what's wrong and I was like, um, I was crying and laughing. And I don't know why I was laughing, but she said you were just hysterically crying and hysterically laughing and going back and forward between the two trying to tell me what was happening. And then um, she said to me that she could give me some tablets that would help calm me down and she actually knocked me out with sleeping pills. Yeah. And um, put me to bed for, you know, this was in the afternoon and I don't think I woke up till lunchtime the next day. Yeah, wow. Um, and then, you know, saw this, there was never any counselling or anything back in the day. No. Y- you just kind of got on with it. Yeah. But what I did do was I went and got baptised <laughs> and became a Mormon. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did because I thought that's – I need that in my life right now. I need to be saved. Mm. I thought I've it's the only thing I could think of that might save me. And they, one of the things they had told me in their talks that they had done with me is that when you get baptised, it's like you're a brand new baby, you're washed clean of all mm. your sins and you're perfectly brand new. Yeah. And I thought that's what I need. To get rid I of the past. To be new. Yeah. To so run, run away from. Yeah. Yeah. And I agreed to go get baptised and that's it actually saved my life. Like mm. I'm not a Mormon now and I didn't stick with it for long. Yeah. Um, but for a couple of years, I've, it saved my life. And I lived out this life with these Mormons who were just, no one drank or smoked or um, had sex or any of that, but they were happy. They were just, they'd play board games and laugh all night and it was actually a really happy time for me and it really healed me. Yeah. So I never had counselling or anything like that, but that kind of healed me from that experience. And were I you did, able to I open did up, feel like all that stuff Were you able to washed. open up to them about all your past or stuff or is it just being around that that vibe that energy that sort of you know, let you know that there are good people in the world and there are you know what i mean um as part of getting baptized you have to you have to um tell them everything that you've done so i had to unload all of this stuff and i remember sitting there um I remember sitting there with this bishop, I think they're called, in the Mormon church, telling yep. him all of these things that had happened in my life and I can remember him just sitting there going... Oh, what the hell? I remember his face just going, what is going on here? Yeah. But you know what? Um, I think back now to it and think, why didn't he go to the police with what I told him? I think there's probably a, not a to. confidentiality yeah, there is. around that. Yep. I don't know why he didn't like push me to go and see the police about it or to do something about it. But again, like I said, it was the 80s and there was, you know, it just was unheard of of women charging people for sexual harassment and things like that. So it was maybe not even a thought of his, I don't know, and the confidentiality thing. But there was was never a push for me to get justice about it at all. Yeah. Mm. Which didn't matter at the time because I was saved anyway. Yeah. I was clean. <laughs> uh, do you think, um, like even now, do you still know these people? Are you still, they're still here. Are they still? Uh, the Mormons. 
No, the one where you worked. Is he still? Oh, I've I've stalked him on Facebook to see what he's up to. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, you wouldn't want to do anything about it now. You think it's too late. You oh, think, I've, or you no, think I've, you've moved past. I've or? thought about it. Yeah, I've definitely thought about it. So what's stopping you? When the Me Too movement happened, I was like, yes, finally people are speaking, and it actually made me think. Yeah, actually, it happened a long time ago, and it it nearly killed me. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I. I'm not doing it out of fear still, but I might. It's still sitting there. I've actually written him a letter that's sitting on my computer ready to be sent. But I the I think I guess the only thing that stopped me from sending that letter is that if his wife finds it, I've still got a lot of guilt around his wife and I don't want his kids to you know, because if he's got a great relationship with his kids, I don't want to destroy not him. I don't care if his life's destroyed, but I don't want to s- destroy their memory of everything about their dad because something like that could actually destroy their entire thought process around their parenting and their childhood. Yeah. Um, so for me hearing that like that, this is the same pattern playing out. Like you, you. There's obviously the fear at the start for yourself and you've got your own guilt and that, but then it's almost like the f- there's still fear on doing it, but then you're justifying it by bringing other people, like their friends or bringing their kids, you're bringing other stuff into to justify you not owning up and like and doing what you know yeah. should be done. Yeah. That's just my, that's what I'm getting. Like I could be wrong um, and... So I don't know. What are your thoughts when I when I say that to you? Do you, does that like get a a feeling in your stomach? Go, oh, that might be right, or is that like a no? Nah, yeah, that's no. Not. I definitely thought that when you said it. It is definitely a pattern. It's definitely a pattern. But so let's break this pattern on the <laughs> New Environment podcast. Let's do something send about that it. <laughs> send that letter. <laughs> well, at least send that letter. And and imagine if this guy's listening to this podcast. He's like, don't send that letter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. Well, that's uh, well, I, I don't know. Like, obviously, it's your decision. You can do whatever you like, but you know, if you want to be um, breaking the pattern, you know, it's very. I must commend you for coming on and, and open up about this story, Karen. I mean, Haley. Yes, that's um, but yeah, that's something that uh, anyway, something for you to think about, I suppose. And if there's any value that I could add, it would be really go back on your thinking and, you know, am I thinking like this because I'm still playing out a pattern of fear or whatever or and just get really real with yourself around why I'm not doing this, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, would be the only bit of my two cents, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, so just for the people listening, um, I think we're up to 16 years old. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> still plenty more no, to I come. Think I'm, I think oh, I'm 17. Uh, 17 sorry. Right a whole of, whole <laughs> of 17, like wise and, um, no, but so yeah, well, you've definitely lived, uh, uh a life that, um, many people wouldn't want to live and, 
uh, knowing you now, uh, you know, you've definitely come a long way since then. So anyone listening that might have been through something like this, um, you know, there is a way out and I think it's a real testament to yourself and should be proud of where you are at the moment. Definitely light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. 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 Cool. So um, we'll keep moving. I'm glad I didn't – I'm glad that truck stopped. Yeah, Put well, it that way. definitely owe him a carton, that's for sure. Because in that moment, like, I, was, I just want to send that out to anyone who's thinking that it's a good idea to end your life. Like, the stuff that I've done since then and the great life that I have now, I just can't even imagine if that truck had have ended my life that day, all of the things I would have missed out on. But you mm. think it's so bad in that moment. Yeah, and, and you think there's no... even three months later, it was completely, my life had completely switched and changed around and to the point where I was looking back going, what was I thinking? Okay, so uh, I'll ask this now and I'll probably ask it again a few times. Like, So this all happened you know, before 18. So in all instances, like looking back and knowing what you know now, like what advice would you give or what would you have done different and how would that have affected the, the outcome? Like what, what what advice do you give to anyone in, in any of them situations? Like what do you think the key takeaway of, of you knowing what you know now? I think um, the fear and the guilt that keeps you in a situation, just, just look past that because it might be, and I'll get into this in my next story, but... That stuff keeps you in a situation because you've got you f- you're afraid of what's going to happen on the other side of it. Like, wh- where's this going to lead me? Like, I was scared of never finding another job. That that didn't happen. I got a job straight away. Like, he didn't say a word to anybody. Um, purely out of his fear of if anything came out about what he'd done. Like, if he said something mm. about me, I, I could quite easily say something back about him. But that 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 fear that kept me in. Once I got on the other side of it, none of that stuff happened. So you always pick the worst case scenario to to worry about, about when you get on the other side. But you lots of times just worrying about things that aren't going to happen. And if I had have just talked, if I had have just told someone, mm. like it could have been over. So so my sister, my sister when she found out was a huge reason why it all escalated, because she started telling me how wrong it was and why you shouldn't be there and you need to get out. Yeah. Um. So just the fact that she found out, not because I wanted to tell her, because I kind of had a breakdown and had to tell her why, but finally that secret was broken and that's what led to me getting out. Yeah, So definitely. if you can just talk to somebody and not be scared to tell other people because they're not going to blame you. Yeah. Communication. Yeah. And two heads are better than one. So you can think all these scenarios and all this stuff that's going to happen, but if you can get somebody else's opinion on it, let like see the situation from somebody else's point of view. It can yeah. break all of those fears that you've got about what might happen. They 100%. can give you their advice from outside of the situation. Mm. So like I I like what you just said there because I think it's very true and I, I think everyone can um, resonate this or or know this to be a uh, a truth for like everyone is. How easy is it to give advice, right? Like you see something like, oh, I know what's going on there. I can tell (laughs) me exactly what's happening. Like this is what's, but when you're in there, like when you, because the emotions is what change, right? When Mm -hmm. you have got high emotions around anything, your emotion 
shuts off your logical brain. So then you, you know, what I mean, you're thinking out your level of thinking around the event or situation, trauma, or whatever, is just so not reality. Mm-hmm. And it's just so easy for someone outside to then go, you know, this is what's going on. I know for me, like, you know, I can see dynamics and I can pinpoint what's going on. But when I'm in that situation, yeah. you know, what I mean, it's so much harder because you've got that emotion. So. And you've had that manipulation to make you believe certain things as well mm, that the, yeah. that someone on the outside hasn't had, so they can see past all of that shit. Yeah, hundred percent. So I'm going to throw something at you because this just come to me, and it's, it's rewinding back to what you're talking about before. Is like the story that you're telling yourself is you can't because of like their kids or blah blah blah. But um, what if I said to you, well, he's currently now doing it to two girls, and he's getting away with it. Because you're not saying something. Got more guilt now. <laughs> no, well, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, there's, there's, the story, yeah. there's the other side of the story. There's the other side of the story too. Like the story you're telling yourself is I'm protecting yeah. the kids, but what's not to say you're, you know, what I mean, because he's allowed to do it because you're not saying anything. He's potentially, well, your first guy was seventy or whatever. I don't know how old this mm-hmm. guy is, but you know, what I mean, what's to say he's not still doing it because no one's ever come forward. Yeah. Um, 70s maybe just actually. something that I'm just throwing that out there because that's interesting that's an interesting see outside point of views because mm. mm. I've never thought of it like that well right. I was I was just thinking like how can I change your perspective because at the moment your fears making up well not making it up which is is true but at the end of the day um his kids or whatever, his wife or whatever, like they need to, he's the one that's done the wrong thing and this is on his, it's not on you. I mean, like you don't, you're not responsible for his kids and how they feel and, and stuff like that. And I know you feel like you're coming from a, from a good place, but you know, potentially he's still doing it. And then yeah. someone like you coming out could now save another little girl's life. Because I had she, this terrible thought that he could have even done it to his, his daughter's teenage friends. Because you hear of that so much. Mm. Mm. And then maybe he's got granddaughters now. Yeah. Oh. Sorry to throw that <laughs> out there. <laughs> um, no, uh, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing stuff out mm. to, to try and see other perspectives and, and not to... Um, tell you what you should or shouldn't do but more so just showing you a whole of of it's more than just you and him and what i mean there's other factors at play that maybe you're not taking into consideration yeah um and like i said potentially if someone that he'd done to before you or whatever had come forward then that may not have happened to you so you could then potentially be saving someone i do i do know there was a girl that worked there before me yeah. I found out after I left. Yeah, so, so it yeah, was, and there was might a be pattern. St- yeah, there might be still people working then. Now, I don't know. But anyway, something more for you to ponder when mm. you go home. Interesting. <laughs> Tonight. That letter's getting closer and closer. <laughs> yeah. <to you. laughs> well, that's my plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, moving on to the next story that you have for us. Okay, so um Pretty pretty quickly after I had gone into the Mormon church, I met 
I met this guy. I actually, there was a guy in between who was, um, who I started dating, who was a friend of one of the Mormons, who um, he very, I wasn't with him for a long time, but he was quite, he was quite abusive really quickly. Um, I kind of want to, I kind of, <laughs> right now, I'd like to talk about red flags because I kind of learnt the red flags in an abusive okay. relationship yeah, with sure. this guy. Definitely. Um, red so flags are cool, aren't they? It's like a party on. Yeah, red flags. <laughs> <laughs> Blue flags are way better. <laughs> Rainbow <laughs> flags. Um, I think when you when you start in a relationship, some of the big things to look for when you when you're going to be with someone abusive, look at the way they treat. Well, firstly. They'll start out like all shiny and and perfect because mm. they try and keep that facade of being a perfect person. So, um, but that that can only last for kind of. I always say to my kids in relationships, you can only be in a like someone can only hold their real nature in for about three months in a relationship, and then the cracks will start to form. Yeah, and you'll start to see who they really are. <coughs> so, some of the big things to look for is like how do they treat their parents? Are they disrespectful to their parents? Mm, definitely. Do they, do they always kind of have they got a victim mentality? Are they always kind of saying, "Oh, this happened to me," or "I'm only like this because of this," and tell you about things that have happened to them in their past, which might have happened, but um, they'll focus really heavily on that victim. It's not an excuse mentality. to act the way you're acting. Yeah, definitely yeah. take some ownership. Yep. Um, they'll they'll lay blame on other people a lot. Mm-hmm. Um. They'll, they'll always be very, like, they'll kind of be selfish with their belongings or their money or not saying that, like, like I'm all for women paying their way these days. I've raised my, my daughter to be like that. Don't expect a man to pay for you when you go out on a date. Um, so I'm not about that. Like, I'm not, I'm not thinking money-wise like that. But they, they'll be very, like, they'll always tell you that... Um, if, oh no, they won't always because sometimes they like to control you with their money as well. But mm. but selfishness is definitely a thing. Yeah. Like, did you did you get a bit bigger piece of steak than them, or did the waiter serve you before them, or did you? Um, I know one with my abusive husband was if I got photos printed of the kids and I showed them to somebody else before he got to see them, he'd get so angry because they they have that real selfish nature yeah um and what else do they do um they they're very they're very critical of their friends and if their friends are doing better than them they'll always make excuses as to why they're not as good as their friends um to keep you thinking putting them on a pedestal that they're better than everybody else because they like Mm. to build themselves up yeah but anyway, this is this is what this new guy was starting to show all of these signs and jealousy. Jealousy is the biggest the biggest one. Yeah. So started being jealous of uh, if I spent more friend uh, times with my friends than I spent with him. Yeah. Um, <coughs> if I worked later at work, then I wasn't prioritizing our relationship. Like I didn't think he was important enough. Yeah. So there was a lot of fights about that. But I saw, I saw how he treated his mother and the disrespect that he treated her with and that he'd swear at her and, you know, throw things around the kitchen and stuff like that. So I, I got scared off very quickly with him and I left him and then met this new guy who was 
perfect again, saying all the right things. They're very um, – an abusive partner at the start will, will kind of overcompensate because they know that they could be that asshole inside. <laughs> so yeah. they will really overcompensate to show the good side of them. And in a lot of ways I think that's the person they do want to be. The person they portray is probably the person they think they are or that they want to be. Yeah. But they can't keep they can't keep that personality going for very long. No. Before it all starts falling apart. So when I met this new guy, um, it it started off perfect for a few months. He's buying me presents, saying all the right things. Um letting me do whatever I like, you know, encouraging me even to do what I wanted. Uh, and then it quickly within a couple of months started to show the cracks. And he, um, I think the first thing that ever happened was we were we were out at a nightclub with my sister and I was actually living with my sister. Yep. After that stuff happened with um, with my boss, I actually moved in and started living with her. So I was living with her um, and she had her boyfriend and her boyfriend's brother with her at this at this nightclub. Yeah. And the brother was staying at her house as well, just for the night. He was just visiting. But I was staying there. And when when this boyfriend of mine found out that I was going, that I he knew that I lived with my sister, but when he found out that this brother was going back and he was staying the night in the house and then um, like he'd said, oh, you just come and stay at my house tonight. And I said, no, I've got work in the morning. I have to go home. Like, I've got an early start, so I'm going home. And he just disappeared. Like, he didn't say anything. Didn't get angry because this was early on. Yeah. <coughs> he didn't get angry, but he disappeared. And I was like, where, where did he go? I was looking everywhere. And I knew he had his car out the back, like, in the car park. So I couldn't find him anywhere inside, and I went out to the car. And he had a ute, and he was actually laying in the back of the ute with a tarp pulled over him. Like, because I looked in the windows and everything. Yeah. And then I could see this lump under the tarp and I pulled it back and there he was. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, he's like, I'm just so upset because you're going back to the house and I know that that brother's, he's been trying to hit on you all night and I know that you're going to sleep with him if you go back to the house and you, you just don't love me enough to come back to my place and put my mind at rest. And like he said it in a really nice way, but but kind of making out as if I... It was my fault that I hadn't considered him yeah. in this situation. Whereas all that was in my head was I'm going home to go to bed. That's where I live. Yeah, yeah. And <coughs> this guy hadn't been hitting on me at all. He was actually married. Um, and he was just hanging. He'd just come down to spend the night with his brother. Um, I'd known this guy for years because he was my, brother's, my sister's brother-in-law. I'd known him for years. There was never any, like, he'd never shown any advances towards me ever. So I knew yep. that was not even a thing. It was just something he was seeing. Yeah. So I was trying to explain that to him and he just said, no, you're just stupid. You can't even see what's right under your nose. And he said, anyway, just go, just fucking go home with them. I don't care. And I, in that moment, thought, and this is where I messed up. So this is a big, this is a big, yeah. like, <laughs> this is the moment message for, but this is a message <laughs> for people out there. Don't do this. Because you you fuck it up very early. Straight away I said, oh, okay then, I'll come back to your place. So he got his way very early and I continued to do that when he started throwing these things up at me just to keep him happy because mm. I loved him. 
I thought yeah. it was the greatest thing. And I wanted to keep him so that happy. Was the, I that was the moment him. where he, he knew I could act this way mm-hmm. and you will. He had me. You had turn. Me. Yeah. yeah. So he stepped it up a little bit. I think that's time. really important. Sorry to cut you off here. Um, I think that's really important for people to know is like people only treat you how you allow them to. Yeah. You're constantly teaching people how to treat you yes, all yes. the time. So this is why boundaries are so, so important because it's human nature to get away. Like you'll get away with whatever, you know what I mean? Like I know, you know, even with my friends, like there's certain friends where this is something so trivial. It's not even like, you know what I mean? But I know one mate, like I would never even ask him to borrow his car because he's just like, no, nope, you know yeah, what I mean? Whereas yeah. I've got another mate, I could probably go out and take his car tomorrow not even tell him, and he probably wouldn't even care. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So uh, I just want to throw something real trivial out there just because every day when you're conversing with people, you're teaching them how what is okay and what is not okay. Yes. Um, Absolutely. And I think this is where boundaries, you know what I mean? And a lot of times we lie to ourselves and we tell them we're just trying to do be nice or we don't want to rock the boat or we, you know, it's because I'm a nice person. It's no, it's because you're not strong enough to set a boundary. Yeah, yeah. It's you know so, so much so about those boundaries in relationships. Yeah, and yeah, you know I mean, and we lie to ourselves about why we're setting the why we're not setting the boundary, and we always say it's for the other person, and yeah. they, you know, what I mean, you know, what I'm getting yes, at, you know, what yes. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, and like it's hard to do, right? And and I think, um, so I'd just like to say for anyone out there, just be really conscious of how your behaviour is allowing other people to treat you mm-hmm. and then you'll then soon see that, I don't like to use the word um, you're manifesting like bad behaviour or whatever, but... It's kind of, you're not meant to be, no one deserves to be treated bad, right? I'm not saying that you deserve to be treated bad. That's not what I'm saying because uh, that's a very dangerous thing to imply. But I do believe that if you act a certain way and you allow people to walk over you, then they're going to say, well, this is fine. Mm-hmm. They not seem to care. So it must be okay. Like that, yeah. And that's how humans work. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I think that's very important. So but, important. Mm. So, so important. Always when you start out in a relationship. I had I had someone say to me once that their mum said to them, their mum always said to them, start out as you mean to finish. And I've never forgotten that because I did not do that. Like I didn't want that behaviour for the rest of my life in a, in a marriage or a relationship, mm. but I allowed him to do it at the start. So, of course, he thought that he could continue that. Mm. Like The I way like you that. start is the way it's going to finish. Like yeah. There's no changing it later. No. There's no going, okay, well, I'll let him get away with it now because it's a new relationship, but I'll change yeah. him later because it's not going to happen. No. It's going to get then worse. Later on, when you say something, you then they, and they're fully in their right to say this, well, you are fine with it before. Yeah. Like, yeah. why are you exactly. not fine with it now? You yeah. know, like, you, you're you changing the rules. And, yeah. and this is something, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, even in our relationships, like, how many people get into a relationship and try to change the other person or yeah. like don't try you know what I mean like if they're not what you want why are you there don't go you? like you know don't try and change them and you know what I mean so find someone that is who you want them to be and I think 
if they're not 150%, if it's not a fuck yes in the first three months, then don't bother. Cause hey, that's you've got to wait after that three months because you don't know them yet yeah. <laughs> until well, after the three well, months. Well, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but I see people, they start off, and I've done it before, like, you know, I'm um, same as everyone else. I, You get into something and you're like, oh, you're kind of not sure, you're a bit... Oh, I just kind of see how it goes. But, I mean, like the best, well, you should act the same in the first three months as you, as you should interpret the whole relationship, but that's not what happens, right? So the first three months, that's the best, they're, they're, that's, the, that's that's the best they're, they're ever going to act, best, right? Yeah. So if it's not a fucking amazing <laughs> in the that. first three <laughs> months, then it's, if it's not amazing in the first yes. three months, then fucking forget it, right? Because exactly. that's the best. And... um. And the same, I mean, I know when it comes to relationships and stuff, like, you know, you should be striving to act how you did in the first three months through the whole relationship, right? And then things wouldn't go so bad because, you know, you're very thoughtful, you're very you know, giving presents, and, rah, rah, and then life happens and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, where'd the spark go? Well, you're not acting how you did when the spark <laughs> yes. was there. So it's not going to be like how the spark was there. Does that make sense? Like, uh, anyway, I, I'm... It's hard to do, and you know I'm single, so you don't take relationship <laughs> advice from me. But that's just what I'm thinking. <laughs> so true, though. So true. All right, where were we? Where were we? Um, he was in the back of his ute, so I went home with him. Yeah, just to keep him happy because I wanted him just to love me and everything else. But then, this is another thing I've I've realised with talking to other people who've been through abusive relationships is they want to move very quickly. Because maybe in the past they've had relationships that have fallen apart very quickly. So they want to get you committed really quick. Um, it's that fear of um, abandonment. They want to lock you down. Yeah. yeah. And I think also, and I can say this because I'm going to go on the flip side of this later, mm. but someone that's that's abusive and controlling and manipulating in a relationship is has got a lot of fear and insecurity. 100%. That's where it comes a from. A lot of fear and insecurity and whether that's b- been brought on by past relationships that have gone wrong or learnt behaviour through watching their parents and the way they behaved. But there's huge insecurity and fear all around, around that. But um, So he, he fast-tracked me into living with him. I think we'd only been together for a couple of months and um, maybe four months when uh, and I'd, I'd been saving for a house he had as well. That's what you did in the eighties when you were young. Yeah. You wanted to buy a house yeah. straight away. Um back then houses were fourteen dollars, so you could yeah. do it. Not not like they are now. Hey, wages <laughs> were pretty low too, so it's kind of the same. It's not comparison, all right. We just had this, I just had this <laughs> argument with someone the other day. Uh I I sorry to go off topic, but there's some baby boomer was in the paper and was like, because the interest rates are going up and he's like Oh, use all winged like I had to pay seventeen percent interest. Like, can't like it is a big spiel. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, but your house costs ten grand, mate. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't. Like, our wages have gone up, you know, one percent a year for the last, you know, fifty years. But houses have gone up like five thousand percent. Like, yeah, I mean, you yeah. can't make the comparison. Like, yeah, you paid more interest, but you paid stuff all for your house. So, come on, mate. Pull it together. Anyway, that's my little rant. Um, back to you, sorry. Uh, my kids would say the same. <laughs> and have, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, fast-tracked fast tracked into a relationship. So we'd moved in together within three or four months. We were living together. <coughs> um, and as soon as I was living with him, 
man, things went downhill really fast. So the next the next step of the plan with someone that's kind of trying to manipulate you in a relationship is they're going to try and isolate you from everybody else to try and make them so you're you're the only person in their life. Mm, yeah. Um. So they start putting down your friends. They start accusing your family of doing things. So he didn't want me around my sister because my sister had single guys at her house so you know she was that she was this or she was that or she was trying to manipulate me into mm. or trying to set me up with other guys uh he'd tell me that he, my mother hated him and i he didn't want me around my mum because she she would tell me constantly that he's not she wasn't doing any of this by the way mm. um she certainly didn't like him <laughs> but yeah. she she wasn't telling me not to be with him yeah um not at the start anyway no nah. But kind of then <coughs> later on she actually disowned me and said, if you're going to live with this guy, then you're, I'm not talking to you anymore because she was on to it. And she actually disowned me for two years and ne- never spoke to me. Yeah, well, I'd yeah. ring her for a birthday and she'd slam the phone down and pretty much tell me that if and, – and this was a Mormon thing too. It was kind of like was I was living in sin, so unless I got married to this guy, yeah, don't don't talk to me kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just creating a lot of trust and a lot of openness in the relationship with you and your mum there was. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like we were talking about before. Yeah. And it was kind of like, oh, gosh, she wants me to marry this guy. So there was pressure on for that as well. Yeah, which but, would um, be fast-tracking even further, which we didn't. You definitely don't yeah, want. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they they cut your friends out of your life, so you're pretty but much... Yeah, I mean, the re- so the reason they do this is because they don't want them people finding out who they are and then pulling yes. you away from them yes. so it's it's all that fear it's they it's all out of fear and insecurity because they know what they're doing is wrong and then they don't want outside people telling you that yeah they're bad people because yeah. they know that, i mean so it's just the fear of and getting found and they'll out. say kind of like i know that she doesn't like me and it's only because of this or it's and and put the blame on them so that you think in your head well yeah, she doesn't like you, but maybe like it, it creates this kind of confusion that maybe it is because she's a bad person and she's judging him wrongly or something like that. They they're very clever at manipulating how you think and how you feel about things. Mm. Um, but yeah, that they, they'll only let you have friends that are kind of wives of their friends and things like that. Anyone that's outside of their group that they feel safe with you having a relationship with, they will completely, they'll put them down. They'll say that they don't like me. Um, you know, they'll they'll make up reasons why they're bad people so you don't want to be around them or yeah. that they can at least say that you shouldn't be around them because of this and then they'll get really upset if you, if you actually have time with them. Yeah. So I remember... I remember sneaking around to my sister's house, like sneaking around there because I lived there and my mail was still going there. I snuck around there one day without telling him to pick up my mail and I hid it in the glove box because I knew if he found out that I'd been there. Well, things had, I've kind of skipped a bit because this, this relationship had escalated into a pretty violent stage by this stage. Yeah, okay. And very quickly because I'd only been with him for a couple of months so or a few months. But... um. Just to tell you a couple of things that led up before this vis- visit to my sister's house, there'd been a day when he had um, he had gone, he'd come to see me at work and I was speaking to a male customer and he hadn't even stayed to talk to me. In fact, I didn't even know he'd been there. 
But when I got home, he was in bed again with a blanket over his head, like the tarp in the back of the ute. Learn behaviour. Um, yeah, hiding under there, and I'm like, "What are you doing? Like, what's?" It was early in the afternoon. Oh, I'd finished work, so it was probably five in the afternoon, and he's in bed with a blanket over his head. I'm like, "What are you doing?" And he's, he's like, you know, started abusing me that I know you don't love me. You were talking to that guy. I saw the way you were looking at him. I saw the way you were smiling at him. Obviously, there's something going on with you too. And I'm like, I didn't even know this guy. Like, he was just there buying <laughs> something, you know. Yeah. Um, never seen him before in my life and would probably never see him again. He's just a customer. Like, I said, that's my job. I have to smile at customers. Like, what do you want me to do when I'm at work? I'm not allowed to smile. And he's like, yeah, I, like, just, um, he actually got up and pulled he pulled the curtain from behind the bed down and got the curtain rod probably don't have curtain rods yeah. nowadays yeah come on <laughs> do you know what a curtain, still a curtain you're rod you're still 21 you know <laughs> curtain rods up there oh there is two. <laughs> well one of those he pulled one of those down and he just got it and he speared it at my head and it went past my face and actually he threw it so hard it went into the jip rock and was hanging out of the wall kind of going dong, dong, dong. it was a bit like a cartoon yeah. except it wasn't funny no and um he like that a couple of weeks later he'd seen me again somewhere i can't remember where i'd been this time i think it might have been we went for lunch and i'd had i i'd learnt to if we were walking together to look at the ground not to look up because if he if I was looking forward and there was a, a guy coming towards us and we made eye contact, he would lose his shit no, and no, think yeah. that, that uh, who was that guy? I saw you look at him. Um, so something like that had happened. I can't remember what it was. But when we got home that day, he actually went to the, the knife drawer. He was screaming at me about what had happened, the interaction that I'd had with this person that was nothing at all. And he went to the knife drawer the cutlery drawer and he got a like a sharp knife out and he was standing holding his arm out with the knife like threatening to like saying to me you don't you don't even love me I may as well be dead and I'm like what are you talking about you know I didn't even look at this guy I'm I don't know what you're talking about like trying to calm him down mm. so once again instead of me saying you're a psychopath what are you doing and walking out and just saying I'm I'm done with this relationship I'm not dealing with this shit like no one should behave like that and pulling him up on what he was doing yeah I instead would try and calm him down it's okay I do love you like I'd reassure him mm. and give him exactly what he wanted because the, when when you're in this like I call it a psychosis this jealousy psychosis that's probably not the term but that's what I call no, it oh that's yeah you're so angry and you can't see past, like you can't see the behaviour is irrational because all you want is that reassurance that they're not leaving you. Yeah. And that's what I kept giving him. I kept giving him that reassurance. No, I love you. And I knew that that calmed him down, so that's what I did because yeah. I learnt that that's what – and I taught him to treat me like that yeah. to get what he needed. Yeah. Exactly like <coughs> what we said before. I did teach him to treat me like that because I kept giving it to him over and over yeah. again. That reassurance that it was okay and I love you. Where I shouldn't have, I should have walked away. So he got this knife and he actually sliced himself. He sliced his arm open until it was bleeding 
everywhere and you could see his bones through this cut. And I drove him to the hospital. He lied about what had happened. I backed him up in his lie because you're afraid of what's going to happen when you get home because he's been so angry and um, like so abusive that you're so scared. You're In that moment, you're so scared of what's going to happen because you've, you've been going through that and now you're at the hospital. People are asking questions. So if you don't back up his story, like what's going to happen to you when you get home? Yeah. So you've got all that fear going on. So I backed him up with his lies at the hospital. I can't remember what he said had happened. Um, he got stitched up and sent home. So that kept me in fear and walking on eggshells for a long time after yeah, that, sure. doing the right thing, making sure I didn't look at anyone, didn't talk to anyone I shouldn't talk to because I didn't want him to blow up again. Yeah. Um, a few months later after that, again, so this is still early on in the relationship, <coughs> so it's already escalating out of control. Yeah. Um, a few months after that, he um, something had set him off in the morning when I was going to work and he didn't want me to go to work. He was trying to get me to give up my job because obviously there were people I was talking to there that he didn't like. Or And then, you know, you're making your own money, so if he can cut off you making money, then he can control you 100%. Yes, yeah, because yeah. that's always a big factor. So I'm leaving for work and he didn't want me to go. He wanted me to give up my job and I was leaving and he actually climbed on the bonnet of my car. And I don't don't know how he did this because windscreens are pretty tough and I've seen people try and break them with like hammers and stuff. But he was on the bonnet punching the windscreen over and over. There was blood all over his knuckles. But he, he smashed the windscreen. Maybe windscreens weren't as tough back then as well i don't know but i have thought about this and thought how did he break that windscreen but yeah smash smash the windscreen in my car and got me to the point where i said okay i'll give up my job and i'll find another job so again teaching him that his behavior works yeah yeah definitely and then um i thought stupidly and this is another thing that i really want to get out there to anyone who's listening to this i thought he kept we wanted he was saying about marriage and getting married and i thought if we get married he'll know that i love him and he would say that like if when we're married i know that you love me and then i'll stop being like this because he always used to go if you because they always blame you for the way they're feeling as well Mm. if you if you didn't act the way that you did if you didn't talk to those people if you weren't in a job that that you were around all these people that make me feel insecure, they would never use the word insecure, actually. No, <laughs> no definitely not. I don't know how he worded that, but that, that was the yeah. gist of it. Either way, it was your fault, no matter it's what. It's your fault, and if you didn't act in this way, I, would, I wouldn't I would be like this, I wouldn't behave like this, so it's your fault. It, they, it's always your fault. Mm. And there's a cycle, like I really need to talk about the cycle. There is a cycle of behaviour that happens. So they... They go through the the abusive part of this cycle where they have a meltdown and they blow up and then they come out of that with almost like a – there's like a period where they act like it didn't happen and then they go into this kind of honeymoon period. Or there could be the period where they they bring you flowers and they're sorry and – and that's where the guilt will be laid on. If only if you didn't if you didn't act the way that you did, I wouldn't do it. Or you know what happened in my past that makes me like this, and I'm really sorry, and mm. I'll never do that again. Like that was just out of character for me. And here's some flowers, and it should be all okay now. And then 
you'll go through this honeymoon phase where they're perfect and you love these people so you're like okay this is the guy that i love again he's being he's being really good yeah he said he won't do it again and you want to believe them because you love them you want to be with them but like that cycle always starts to break down like something will happen that will set them off again and then they'll go back into that cycle of abuse again yeah and at the start of the relationship this might only happen like once a month or if you're lucky once or twice a year but the longer you're with them that cycle gets shorter and shorter Shorter, and shorter and the things that set them off become smaller and smaller as well until total control yeah so um if you get if you get married i'll feel like i'll know you love me so we got married and it didn't change anything. In fact, it got worse because he knew then he had complete control of me. Mm. I was married. I couldn't get away. Again, in the 80s, like, there was people didn't get divorced so much back then. It was really frowned upon. So you really, really tried to make your marriage work. If you got married, you tried yep. to make it work. So it was kind of like you were stuck there then and he knew it. He knew if I got married, then I was in it for the long run. And then... um. I got pregnant pretty quickly after that. And I know a lot of a lot of people in these relationships say they think if they have children then they'll change. Oh, they'll be a dad and they'll be more responsible and they won't want to act like that in front of their kids so they'll change then because but that makes it even worse, like hundred times worse. Once there's children involved, then the children become the pawns in that manipulation cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's there's another power play, there's another um tool to their little toolkit of yes. how to manipulate yes, you. Yes, yep. absolutely. And I, I keep saying, well, I'm talking about my experience and it was a him, but there's it's becoming very prevalent in women now, that women are becoming more increasingly the abusers in relationships. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want to reinforce that, that it's not always the man. Um, and, and they can use the kids against you just as much if not more than the, a man can if the oh, woman's in the abusive it's definitely in side of in the hands of the female when it comes to the, the, the legal system yeah. um just through person not personal me but through mates that i know uh, I'll, <coughs> I'll give you one story uh, it's pretty it's probably the worst one i've heard so uh a guy that i know him and his wife split up um she went straight to the cops and said He's he's been molesting our daughter. Oh. Never he'd never done it. He and he'll so he couldn't see his daughter for eighteen months. Um went through a court, cost, you know, thousands, thousands of dollars. And at the end the judge threw it out and said, You've got absolutely no evidence or basis to be saying this. Yeah. And then she gets off scot free. Like you know what I mean? Like, how can you ruin someone's, not ruin his life, but ruin his relationship with his daughter mm-hmm. and not let it see? And then, because there's no consequences if if you're not right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think whatever, whatever, whatever it is that you're seeking, if you're seeking for him to go to jail or whatever, two years, whatever it is that you're seeking, if you can't prove it and you're being proved to lie about, you should go to jail for that same amount of period, yeah. right? And then how many people would go, oh, shit, I'm probably not going to, you know what I mean? Like, there should be something in place, I feel, uh, because it's too easy for people to just go, oh, well, look, you know, I've changed my mind. No, that didn't happen. Um, Okay, well, I'm going home now and living my life as normal. No, Mm. that's 
that's completely wrong. Um, but yeah, and yeah, he was obviously devastated because he couldn't see his daughter for a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, to this day, she's just living life as normal, and I think that's something needs to be changed. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's such a fine line with like when kids are involved. People like no matter what's going on in that relationship, you've really got to remember that the kids you can't you can't use them as leverage or something like that. You've got to think about the kids. Like it's it's about mm. them and their mental health going forward. And what are you doing to them in that situation? But that never be seems to be the case. Like it, all of these relationships that break up, there's such a power play over those kids mm. and trying to manipulate and and control those, that other person with the kids the use of the kids and you're right and the only people that um that come out second best is the kids normally you know yeah so always the kids yeah well yeah it can be it can be the parents as well but the kids if they're going if the parents are going through something the kids are going through through it twice as hard yeah definitely <laughs> so yeah don't don't have kids to a, a an abuser and think that that's going to change gonna things change, because yeah. it's not it's just going to make it yeah. so much go worse. back to the three month or six month you know that's yeah. the best they're ever going to be it's not ever going to be worse mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah and if it's bad before you have kids or before you get married it's going to be twice as worse when you yeah. get married or have the kids um so so yeah once once the kids came along that became a huge a huge issue with me trying to keep the kids away from seeing seeing the abuse. So I was constantly pandering to his what he wanted from me, trying to keep him happy so that the kids didn't have to see the behaviour. But, of course, it did come out constantly. Yep. Um, and they saw way more than they than young kids should have to see with abuse because it escalated into something that was... Um, you know, the cutting of the arms and the things like that escalated into him, like we had property, so we had gun licences um, to get rid of dingoes and things on the property. So he he um, traded the knives and things in that we had when we lived in the city for, for the guns and would constantly either... Another thing, another thing they do is um, threaten their own lives, so they constantly tell you that they're going to kill themselves. Like, you don't love me enough, so I may as well not be here. I'm going to kill myself. It kind of starts out with that and kind of escalates into them threatening you. But they kind of try and manipulate you first through the guilt of their, of you thinking that they're going to take their life if yep. you don't do what <coughs> they, they want you to do. So they'll constantly say, your kids will, won't have a dad because of you. You're going to push me to take my own life. So um, my kids have to grow up without a dad. Um, you don't love me, I may as well not be here. Like he he would tie nooses in front of me and then go and get in the car and then ring me from somewhere and say, okay, I'm on the riverbank, I'm about to hang myself, I want you to listen to me as I choke to death. And and then kind, kind of try and coax me into begging him to come back. And by this stage... This is and this is another really important thing that I want to get out there to people who are the abusers is to realize that you can only keep someone in a relationship with manipulation and fear and guilt for so long till they get to the point where they don't care. Yeah. When you tell them I'm going to kill them kill myself, they're probably thinking we'll just go do it. Yeah. Even if they're saying don't do it, don't do it. They 
they have fallen out of love with you at that point. Like yeah. you will get to a point where like these these abusers want to keep you in their life so badly that they do all of these things to protect themselves from losing you, but what they don't understand is they're actually turning you against them and they're pushing you away. Mm. And this is something that uh, we spoke about before we actually yeah. got on. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, jealousy and uh, I, I, f- I don't know if it was put it, if you really love something, you've got to, you know, don't hold on to it too tight. You're going to crush it and kill it. You know, yeah. be able to hold on to it softly, let them survive and thrive. Um, and I know, and you know, I mean, you can even put this down to even the vibration, you know, the, the energy and the vibration or the frequency you're putting out being jealous is, you know, you're then in turn going to bring that, them situations into your life um so yeah a hundred percent um yeah and it's easier said than done right like mm. you know obviously these people and i generally do believe like they know what they're doing is wrong but they just can't stop yes. you know i mean like i don't think they you know i mean they, they think what they're doing is right uh and they they obviously need uh help and guidance and counseling or, or whatever it is that they need um but I suppose was there any moment where obviously you know you went through your cycles right and the, uh, during the the heat of the moment and the you know obviously you're not going to bring it up then but when you're in that honeymoon and he's saying sorry is is there did you feel safe enough to go well can we go see someone can we get on top of this because you know I, I know this isn't you I know this is you, know, you can be this thing I mean like yeah you know can you now admit the responsibility and take ownership and go well let's go fix this you know yeah what I mean? yeah um, there was definitely those conversations but then no, no follow-through there was never any follow-through and and they do that's another way to manipulate is to say well yeah i'm gonna I'll get better i'm gonna yeah, yeah okay, i'll do what cool. you want i want to work on myself but i don't want to be this yeah. person but yeah they never they never actually follow through with doing that and i think a lot of that is like the um the shame of what they're doing they don't want to go to somebody and tell them what they've been doing because that would be highly mm. embarrassing to sit with a person and say this is this ha- this is how I'm behaving. Yeah, it's another way to to hide it, um, and that's one reason why they don't want you hanging out with your friends because your friends are going to tell them like yes. the truth. You know, I mean, and so is the yeah. counselor or the you know the therapist or whatever yeah. they're gonna yeah, and and like the fear of losing like if they get better they have to give up that control and they've got you in a place where they want you where you're behaving in the way they want you to behave. Mm. So if they go, what's going, the payoff? That's yeah. that's very important. That's a good point. Then she's going to get to a point where if I'm not behaving this way, she's going to leave. So then what? Mm. So it's easy to to say, yeah, I promise I'll get help and I'll get better. Yeah. And quite often they'll say, let's just work on it ourselves first. Like I think I can do it myself. And if I can't, then I'll. Mm. That's that was a conversation we had as well. Yeah, lip service they call it, isn't it? Yeah, you know, they're good yeah, at saying yeah. this, you know. But still there's always <coughs> that <Government>. edge of... If <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it's not in my throat. <laughs> there's always like an edge of it's still your fault though with that. If you if you didn't behave the way you did, this wouldn't happen and it wouldn't be a problem. So you need to work on some stuff too. There was always that edge to Yeah, it. yeah. Well, because they can't take complete blame because it's not all their fault, right? Yeah. Um, um, but then I suppose in saying that, um, we could actually say it's not your fault, but then you did teach him to 
yeah. treat you this way. So mm-hmm. you do got to take some sort of ownership as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that extreme ownership um, could potentially, well, it would have definitely got you out of it. And then potentially could have he could have then leveled up because of your reaction. So not mm-hmm. a, that's one thing I want to kind of reiterate is by you stepping up and and not you know taking the abuse or not allowing them to manipulate you. Not only is it going to better your life, you've got a better chance of then changing their behaviour by actually standing up to them than what you do by being how you, yes. you know what I mean. You yes. say you're just perpetuating more and more of the same, whereas. If you take the stand and they know, well, shit, I'm going to actually lose them. Yeah. Then they, you've got, you're doing them a service by standing up to them. And, yeah. You know what I mean? And I think if I'd done that, if I'd done that early on when his, mm. his abuse wasn't as escalated as it got, because it was just mild stuff at the beginning. If I had have said, no, that that's like inappropriate behavior. I am not dealing with that. I just, I won't accept that. And that was my boundary. And I, would not let him step over that. And I said, you know, that's immature, that's this or that's that, and put him in his place. From the beginning, it wouldn't have he- escalated into no. the point where he was pulling guns out um, and threatening threatening my life. He, I almost trained him to get to that escalation mm. by allowing him to slowly increase it stage by stage. That's if how I had all have mani- left him, if I had have said this is, this is like not acceptable, there's no way I'm putting up with this, it stops here and I'm leaving and I had have left and I had have stayed gone, the next person he got with that may have stood up to him, he would have went, oh, okay, well, no one's going to put up with this and it might have stopped there. I'll change my behaviour. Yeah. yeah. Instead of, well, she's allowing this, I'm changing her, I don't have to change. And I think um, if you look at well, relationships or even as as a large scale as like totalitarianism, totalitarianism, is that the, that the word? Totalitarianism. I can't So the same thing. So these leaders, so even like, like in Nazi Germany, that's what they do at the start. It's very, very small yes. things, very small. But if you make small incremental changes um, – then it's almost like you don't realise that they're getting worse because it's over such a period of time and then they can yeah. slowly... And this is where... Um, probably shouldn't even go into, like... Yeah, like, I'm not going to go into <laughs> it. <laughs> I know where you're going. Yeah, you know exactly where <laughs> I was going with that. But, yeah, so... I, um, yeah, I think that's real important. Um, and this goes back to, you know, at the start of the relationship, you know, be who you're going to be. Do what you're gonna do. Say what you're gonna say, and just be open, honest, and real, and and don't let things slide at the start because it's in the honeymoon period. Because you're just teaching people to treat you. Well, you're allowing them to. This is okay, pretty yep. much. Uh, and then once we're very, as humans, we're very good at picking up on patterns. That's what's kept us alive. We see a pattern, we repeat it. If it's good, we repeat it. Right? Yep. Yeah. Good. Yep. Bad, don't do that. And it's self-preservation. You know I mean? like self-preservation, you're doing it. And because you love that person, you're trying to preserve that as well. So you let it slowly creep up. And you really don't, when you're in it, don't notice it because it happens so gradually. Like mm. you said, they they gradually step it up. Yeah. So you really don't realise how bad it's Until getting. Until it's too late. 
Yeah. And this is where, you know, opening up and people from the outside can see because they can see. I mean, they may not have seen you for a few months and it's like, went from this to like this, you know what I mean? Whereas mm. in it every day, it's kind of like losing weight, right? You look in the mirror every day, you don't see anything. You're like, I'm not fucking losing any weight. See someone you haven't then seen. Your pants full. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see someone you haven't seen in like three months, like, fuck, you've lost some weight. You're like, oh, fuck, I can't even oh, tell. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's really important, I think, to not uh, – that love thing too, staying in something because you love that person. If you can see that that's the going back to this, start out as you mean to finish, if they're mm. treating you in a way that you know that you can't put up with for the rest of your life, see past that love because that's not going to be there soon. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And the abuser needs to realise that as well, that fear is not love. No. Fear is not love. No, that's not love. So you can have all. someone that loves you at the beginning, but if you have to keep them in fear and manipulate them to keep them there, that is not love. No, 100%. And why be in a relationship do you want with someone that's just there because they're afraid to leave? Yeah, that's, yeah, I couldn't think of anything worse. Mm. Yeah. So, where to from here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it got, it got way worse. It got way worse to the point where um, when my kids were, um, my eldest was a teen by this stage and I won't go through all the ins and outs of what happened between then and there, but um, by the time they were teenagers, the guns were out regularly. Um, there was a time when he held a rifle under my neck up against the wall and lifted me off the floor trying to choke me out with the rifle and he did this in front of the kids. Like I was able to keep his behaviour away from the kids towards the start, like when they were young. Yeah. I used to always say, don't do this in front of the kids. Let's like, let's take this in the other room. And he would kind of do that. But as it progressed and the kids started seeing things, I think he started to think, well, they've seen it anyway. So it was so too late cares? now. Yeah. And I know this is, this is what upsets her the most. The kids seeing stuff is what upsets her the most. So if I do it in front of them, then she won't want that to happen so she's going to do what i say more manipulation yeah um so yeah there was the time when he nearly choked me out there was another time he flung a sledgehammer across the veranda and hit me in the back gave me a huge bruise on my back and i couldn't walk the next day um (laughs) just he would sleep he would sleep in bed with me and spoon me in bed with a rifle between us and tell me if I moved, he would kill me. He would load it too. He would load it in front of me and then lay down in bed with me with the rifle between us. Um, that sounds like a bit of a hazard to me, you know. I mean, a lot of it goes off like a sleep. I know. Wipe your hair like two balls. I know, right. Yeah. So you would sleep there all night, like trying not to move. And every time he rolled over, you'd think, Fuck. shit, you know. Yeah. Just, you just takes one accident to where you're not there anymore and you would the kids are just in the next room you know but that fear of so by that people would be like well why don't you leave so at the start I didn't leave because I loved him and I thought I could change him and I thought if I got married it would be better if I thought if I had kids it would be better like Mm. you would trust me then it would all be okay and then that doesn't work and then you're so you're so in it that it becomes, and they've, they've ex- escalated their um, behaviour so badly that then the fear is what keeps you there. It's not the love anymore, it's the fear. Yeah, yeah. And then, especially when you've got kids, you you think, well, if I leave, 
you really need to get far enough away from them. You know that if you leave, like there's all the stories about it's the most dangerous period for a person <coughs> that's being abused when they first leave because yeah. that's when the most deaths happen. And you know that when you're in it. You know that when you leave, that is going to be a really dangerous time for you. Yeah. So you know that your kids are in danger if you leave. You know that you're in danger. You know that you've got nowhere to go. You know the kids are going to lose all their friends at school. That's a factor. Um, you know that you're, you most probably won't have money because you're going to have to leave your job. You won't have a house. You're going to have to set yourself up in a house without a job and with kids. Mm. Um, so I think it's real important. It's, I think it's real important for people to know, and this is kind of like the whole perspective thing that I did to you before, like you're saying this stuff and people there are going, yeah, this is exactly what, this is what I'm thinking. But, I mean, you need to, We, I, I believe we need to be, you need to look at, well, what happens when you stay? Mm. I mean, none of that's going to change. It's going to yeah, get exactly. worse. Exactly. It's going to get worse for the kids. Mm-hmm. They're going to see more. You're teaching them to stay in a bad relationship. So there's actually way more, even though it is, I, I'm not saying it's going to be easy to go, but what you need to do internally and your talk needs to not be focused on what happens if I go. Yes. It needs to be, it's going to be fucking worse if I stay. I mean, that is the worst, you know what I mean? And then by that logic, if you tell yourself that enough, it's going to then go, well, I have to go like that. I don't have, staying is not an option, you know what I mean? Like, because it's going to be way worse. And um, that's the advice that I would be giving, but coming from the horse's mouth, like what, have you got any more, shed some more light on, you know, what gave you the the drive to then leave? And then, you know, what was the catalyst and, and how were you, able to leave and what was your thought process is like can you walk me through that yeah. part because you're exactly right staying is way worse because it will escalate it will get worse and that's what happened with me so i stayed out of fear of losing leaving and losing my home and losing the, the kids having to change schools and all of that kind of stuff and the fear of what would happen to us because he did threaten that he would kill us if we left no he he would say i will kill i will I will kill the kids um, and then you have to live with the fact that it was your fault. That's what he would say to me. So I And I knew with his behaviour that it would, he had gotten to the point where that was uh, it would actually happen. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it's hard to talk about this part. But I knew, I knew that it had escalated to such a point that that was absolutely a possibility. So I was in absolute danger when I left. And I can't, like, iterate enough that when you leave someone that's that abusive, do not stay in the same town. Like, you have to absolutely get away. Yeah. You have to get out of that town, (coughs) not associate with anyone that they're friends with, for the fear of them finding where you are, because you are at a point where you can be killed if it's that abusive. Yeah. So, um... I made the mistake of when I left. It got to a it got to a point where it was so it was so violent that staying was not an option for me anymore. I knew that if I left or if I stayed, I was going to end up dead either way. Mm. 
Um, so it so all goes back to that one time in the car. I it's know. so funny how when you said that too, you like you knew like I knew. that was the point. I've like, analysed this so many times. Yeah. And I, um, yeah. Yeah. So from something so minor to just come over to like to to this like, and that's how it can. That's how bad it can get, and that's. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's absolutely crazy. Mm. Wow. Yeah, so so from there I did actually get out. Um, I left, but I didn't leave. I didn't leave town. I um, We actually had slept in the car for a couple of nights because we were too afraid to go home. And I had gone into work and uh, I was – we. We'd kind of slept in the car for a couple of nights and I was trying to deal with all of these kids in the car and trying to keep things together, like act like everything was normal and turn up for work every day like things were normal and my kids were going off to school and they weren't saying anything about what was going on at home either. So um, I'd actually – something happened in the classroom that I started to – I started to cry. I actually I worked for school. I wasn't in the class yeah, <laughs> like yeah, as a yeah. student. Um, and one of the other staff said, I'm going to take you down to the um, counsellor's office. So she took me down there and this counsellor actually set up a house for me at a primary school, principal's residence, that was sitting empty at a, at a school, yep. at a primary school. Um because if you if you work for the education department and there was a house sitting there empty, you could you could rent it if you worked yeah. for them. So he set this house up for me, probably not thinking of the consequences of that. And I'm I've moved into that house, but it was in the same town that my husband lived in, and that was never going to work. It was no. never going to work because he knew where I worked. He knew where the kids went to school. It was too easy for him to find me and follow me home. Yeah. So I was I was literally there one night and it was like the happiest night of mine and my kids' lives. It was like we just I can't even describe the feeling of after you've lived for twenty years under this like like oppression and fear to actually be in a house with your kids and be laughing and happy to be to know that you were safe. But it only lasted for one night before he uh, borrowed a car and followed me home from work to this house, and it was it was on a school property. There were still kids in the school when he turned up, and he turned up with the rifle. He opened the boot of the car up. He got his rifle out. He he. It was a double barrel shotgun. He loaded it in front of me, and he put about another five shells in his pocket. So, which I assumed were for the kids after he'd finished me off. I d- mm. I said to the kids when this car pulled up. I said, get upstairs, shut the door and lock it and don't come out no matter what happens to me. Keep out of sight because he doesn't know that you're here. Just keep out of sight. So, of course, they're like peering out the windows. I could see them. Mm. Um, and that's that's like, I'd say, self-preservation. That was it becomes when you're a mother, it's more child preservation at that point. It's like, come after me, shoot me, don't go after the kids. Yeah. So I went downstairs to try and calm him down. And he had this rifle pointed at me saying, if you don't get back in the car and get fucking home right now, you're a fucking dead woman walking. Um, he said, those kids better be laying on the ground upstairs because I'm about to shoot that house to pieces. Um, 
and luckily, <coughs> luckily people in the school next door had seen what was happening and they called the police and um, the, before, before the police had arrived, I think he got scared off somehow or um, he because there were people there. I don't think he knew that there were people around. I can't tell you what actually made him go, whether he heard the police coming, whether he saw people in the school ground and knew that they would have called somebody or something, but he gave me the final threat that I I need to come home or I'm going to die and got in his car and he took off. And then the, the police arrived and they got us in the car put us in police custody in a hotel for the night with two police standing at the door outside and then put us on a bus the next day to the other so side. So how, how, does, how does someone like that then, how is he able to walk the street? Like how, how is that not enough for the cops to go, okay, we're going we're to take this guy in because... I have no idea. I have no idea. So even like today, if that happened today, like the cops couldn't do nothing because he actually hasn't... Yeah, he didn't do anything. He had a gun licence... For the gun that he had, I don't know at what it's at a school, and that's still not deemed as bad enough for them to warrant doing something. Yeah, and I don't know whether I I fully believe that if there hadn't been anyone around, if there were no witnesses around, that I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Yeah, I guarantee that that would have escalated if there hadn't been people around, and he got scared off that I would not be here, and my kids not, might not as well. But. Um, it's just such a huge testament that if you've got a a partner that's that volatile that you cannot stay in the same town. Mm. You cannot be somewhere where they can find you. Okay, so where to from here? Obviously, he's come to the school. Everything's went down. Where does your life go from here? Okay, so from the school, the police bundled us into a, a, a van and took us to a hotel room for the night and put us in the hotel room with two police officers at the door um, waiting for him to turn up. And then we were put on a bus uh, at about 2, 3 in the morning um, where they escorted us from the car into the bus with fake names. And, um, and they didn't tell us where we were going. They just said, when you get to where you're going, someone will come onto the bus and they'll call your name. So we were driving driving for hours and kept stopping at little towns that I was thinking, God, I hope it's not this one. <laughs> yeah. And then we get to the next town and I'd be like, oh, no, not this one. And I remember waking up and opening my eyes and seeing this beautiful blue water, um, this beachside town, which I won't name. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, my God, how great would it be if this is the place? And we got to the bus stop and I was kind of talking to the kids and had kind of forgotten um, to listen for a fake name and someone was there calling out this name and my daughter actually hit me and she said, Mum, isn't that you? And I was like, yes, this is the place. So we actually got to go to this amazing Beachside town. So, who was on the bus? Like other family, like other people. It was in the just. Same a, it was just a big greyhound bus. So oh, okay, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Full of people. Um, so we got off. We got off the bus and uh, we got ex, um, transported to a refuge. 
where we stayed for the next six weeks. So when you go to a refuge, you only have six weeks there yeah. to kind of um, get your life in order in this new town that you've moved to. Not everyone that goes to a refuge is going to stay in the town that they go to, but I had planned to. So uh, I worked with the police to change my name legally uh, when in closed bank accounts and opened new bank accounts and all that kind of legal stuff that we had to do. Yeah. And um, the kids were supposed to receive some counselling. That kind of never happened, but we got the kids into school a new school and I went off trying to find myself a job uh, and trying to find somewhere to live when you come out of the refuge. So, But because I was a, a single mum now and didn't have a job anymore, I'd only lived in town for a couple of weeks, Yeah, I was filling out these applications for houses and I had no <coughs> rental history either um, because we'd always owned our home. So every time I filled out an application for a house, I got knocked back. Um, too many kids, hadn't lived there long enough. Yeah. Um, no, no real job history, and so when the six weeks came up from the refuge, um, when the time limit came up, uh, we were pretty much, and it was the Easter long weekend. In and this beachside town is a very big tourist destination in Australia, so. Uh, I even tried, like, we we couldn't find a house to rent. I tried to find a caravan park that we could stay in, but they were all booked out. All the hotels were booked out. I even thought, we'll buy a tent, we'll stay in a, at a tent site, which I would have been fine with, but we couldn't even get a tent site. So yeah, well. when when the day, the deadline came up to move out of the refuge, we actually packed our mega few belongings that we'd taken because when we left we were told we could only to just take one bag each so we just had some clothes um clothes shoes a couple of the kids toys um and yeah packed the car up and drove out of the refuge and didn't know what we were going to do after that so we kind of just hung around on the beach until it got dark and then went to a park and cooked dinner um i could only buy things that wouldn't go off like or that you could only keep for a day and we'd cook dinner on the barbecues at the park and then sleep in the car at night so there was five of us so everything that we belonged that didn't fit in the boot had to go on the road outside the car so we could actually fit in there to sleep and it was it was a really hot place um and so you couldn't keep the windows up with so many people in the car because you'd mm. be too hot. But if you put the windows down, you'd be eaten alive by mosquitoes. <laughs> it was like, it was hell. Yeah. It was absolute hell. Everyone was cramped. And you can imagine kids being that close trying to sleep at night. There was a lot of fighting going yeah, on sure about space and everything. So it was <coughs> it was a nightmare. Um, and that went on for a few weeks. Uh, and I kept going to – there was a few backpacker – resorts in this town and I'd go there every morning to this particular one that was the biggest in town and I'd go there every morning and say have you got anything and he'd always say no sorry (laughs) I'd go back day after day after day and one day when I went in he said look what's your story you're in here every day what's going on and I told him that I'd been sleeping in the car 
with all these kids. And he said, oh, my God, you should have told me. So he took me on his little golf buggy down the back of this um, backpacker place and there was this big shed where they kept all of their bunks and mattresses and stuff like that, washing machines. Yeah. And he said, like, it's a shed but it's not a car and I can set you some bunks up in the back corner so you can at least stretch out at night and sleep in here. Make it a bit more bearable. Yeah, gave me a little gas cooker to use. Cool. And it was like it was like heaven. Like <laughs> telling Isn't anyone that strange, else. Eh? Like to anyone else, that'd be hell, right? Like yeah, but for yeah. you after being and I suppose that's about perspective and that's something that I think us living in a first world country, we're so lucky and we we don't realise how blessed we are, like you know, we complain when the air conditioner is broken, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, as opposed to people sleeping in the bloody heat all day in, on the ground or in the car. Like yeah, so yeah. Not having the air cons, not the worst thing in the world. No. Yeah, yeah so this, this shed was like heaven for us. Um, and we didn't have to be scared. Like, that was the biggest thing. Like, the, the weight was off our shoulders that we didn't have to live in fear anymore. So we felt really safe and we had somewhere to stretch out and it was just a shed, but it was fine. Yeah. And better than the car. So we stayed there for maybe only three or four nights in the shed and then he finally had a cabinet open up that we could take. But that also was like the size of maybe anyone's um, bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a bit bigger than a bathroom. And like just with wall-to-wall mattresses in this cabin for the kids to all fit in and a little bathroom up the back and a cooker on a bench in the corner. But that even that was like, was like a better than the car. Yeah, <laughs> it was like a castle to us. Anything's being, better than the car. Yeah, so it was great. But um, so we stayed in that refuge or in the um, in the backpacker place for maybe another three or four months before I eventually got a house, got somebody yep. to give me a house. Yeah, so that was that took a lot of work, but we eventually started rebuilding our lives and. Getting everything back on track. Yeah. Yeah. So how was it getting the kids back in school and stuff like that? Like how were they affected? Yeah, it was really tricky because uh, we d- I didn't have a car when we first moved there. So when we were in the refuge, I saved up all the money that I made from the job that I got when I got there to just buy this shitty car just so I could get them to school. But yeah. Yeah, it was tricky getting them into school. And then they'd started in the middle of a term, so there was teasing. And yeah, of we course. went to one school where, um, yeah, they weren't happy, so I changed them to another school. But in the subsequent years, um, my husband kept finding us in the towns that we lived in, and we had to keep moving. So the kids went through uh, five schools in three years, and that yeah. really affected their education and mental health and stability yeah yeah so that was really tricky and two of my kids dropped out of school because they just didn't want to start another school yeah new friends every few months so that was really difficult for them and and for me as well financially it was so hard constantly moving towns trying to find a new job Um, how do you think he found like how does someone like that find you uh he told me he told me years later that he was dating someone in the police service that was telling him, that was looking me up. Yeah, wow. Yeah. There's a will, there's a way, so, isn't there? Yeah. and you. C- but he never actually come after you again? 
he there there was probably three times where I had the police sitting out front of the house in their cars, waiting for him to arrive, and they'd put APBs out on him because of the threats that he had made to me. Yeah, um, there was a lot of a lot of death threats coming through text and phone calls because I had to keep the lines of communication open for him to see the kids. Believe it or not. Family Services contacted me and said that he needed to see the kids. Yeah. After what had happened. Um, How hard is that? Like, you know what I mean? You're, so you're trying to stay away, but then at the same time you got to, yeah. Yeah. It was so hard. So hard. And I had to put them on a train to go to stay with him. And they'd work themselves. My The youngest of my sons would work himself up so much leading up to those visits that he would physically sick like vomiting for two days leading up to it so isn't there like a point where the kids can decide they don't want to go or no is that just yeah well there is yeah but they were too young at the stage yeah to do that yeah so okay all that's like sort of happened um now, where does your life lead to from here? So, Well, despite the moving, the constant moving, it was still – I'd spent 20 years being controlled and told what I could do, where I could go, who I could speak to, um, and just the fact that I was out of that situation, like the constant moving and the, the headache of finding new jobs and all of the stress that came with that was still – way better than what I'd left. Mm. So despite everything, we were still really happy and the kids were as well. Like they, because they had, it's it's weird, like that's a perspective thing as well. Other kids who hadn't been through that trauma, if they'd had to go through all of those moves and those different schools would have probably been affected a lot worse. But my kids were just so happy to be safe and not to have to walk on eggshells all the time. Yeah. That they were, they were really happy going through well they weren't <laughs> obviously it was stressful for them but they were a lot happier than they were when they were in yeah. that yeah. situation yeah so um yeah eventually i met another guy and kind of that's where i want to take this story next is how i then repeated the pattern of my ex partner yeah, yeah. Okay, so you meet this new person and you say you repeated the patterns, um, like you explained, like go through the process of like, yeah, each segment and how that kind of developed. Yeah. So um, when we first got into the relationship, so I was very damaged, hugely damaged from this relationship that I'd come out of. So mm. um, what I haven't what I haven't told you is that after we after I left. I had a lot of friends that were coming forward telling me that my husband had been cheating on me the whole time we'd been together. And that was really hard for me to deal with because throughout the entire 20 years of abuse, he'd always reinforced to me that the reason he was so controlling and jealous was because he loved me so much and didn't want to lose me. So when all of these people started coming out of the woodwork saying that he'd slept with our neighbour and he'd slept, he'd been sleeping with my, a friend of mine, he'd slept with the wife of his best friend, which um, 
there's a whole story around that, but he came home beaten up one night mm. and told me when I'd asked him what had happened that someone mistook him for somebody else in the pub and had had grabbed him and touched him up. And after after we broke up, his best mate contacted me to say that he had been going around to his place every afternoon and sleeping with his wife and his neighbour had alerted him to it and he came home early this day and caught him and had beaten him up, um, which led to court cases and all sorts of things, which he was telling me at the time was over this um, this assault in the pub and that he was trying to uh, charge this guy for beating him up, but in fact it was the other way around. Yeah. It was the guy who'd beaten him up that was charging him. Um, but see, I didn't know any of this because he didn't... He yeah. didn't he used to say to me, oh, they, you don't have to come to the court case with me. It's fine. So all of this stuff played out behind my back and all of the other affairs and the cheating that went on uh, with people that he worked with, they came forward. It's funny how when you break up with someone, everyone will come forward and tell you information. Not but when you. you're with them, everyone keeps quiet. Well, like I know... Um just with my in my life and my friends and that like people are scared because they open up and come forward then you're more likely to turn on them and say that's not true or whatever yeah. i mean if they deny it deny deny then your friendship with them becomes you know um shaky or whatever then you know yeah. they don't, i suppose they don't want to risk losing a friend um because they did you know because you were so controlled and then you know, they just think, well, she's just going to be controlled again and she'll believe him and then I'll lose a yeah. friendship. So, yeah, so um, true. Not saying that th that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's generally what happens. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can't, um, yeah, you can't blame them, I suppose, because I suppose to them, they thought keeping the relationship with you was more important than telling you at the time. Yeah. So, my best friend who he went out, him and her husband went out together one night clubbing. I, had a new baby at home at the time, so stayed home. They went they went clubbing together. He left her husband in the club and then taxied back to her place and climbed into bed with her and was forcing himself on her. And they, neither her or the husband ever told me about that. And they remained friends with us for another probably seven years before I left, mm. acting as if nothing had happened because they were my kids' uh, godparents. And that was that was the reason she said as well. She said, "I knew it would that you wouldn't leave him, and it would affect our friendship." And yeah, yeah. And we'd been friends since we were in high school, so yeah. So that's what that was her excuse. So yeah, I did. I d I didn't hold it against the people who hadn't told me, but it was it was a huge betrayal to me from my friends and from him, especially since he had always used that as the reason. Yeah. I love you so much. I can't lose you. Yet he was out doing doing yeah. it. Yeah, and it's just like it's, it was like I found out that I'd lived this huge lie. I, not only had I put up with the abuse, but he had been cheating on me the whole time. So it was like your whole life was a complete lie. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was very damaged when I came out of that relationship with the, the betrayal. Um, the fear of of feeling like that ever again um, and like I had huge loss in my life I'd lost my home I'd lost my I 
had to live on the other side of Australia, so I lost my family effectively. Um, all my friends, my pets, you know, everything and my job that I loved and I had a business, so everything was kind of stripped away from me. Your whole I, identity of yeah, who you think you like are is gone. Yeah, yeah. This whole life that I'd built was just completely shattered and gone and financially I was ruined and, um, yeah, so you've got – when you go into a new relationship and you've been through that, you're not only fearful that they're going to repeat the behaviour and mistreat you, but you're so scared that you're going to um, be betrayed again. Like yeah. it's it's a fear that sits in you. Like I yeah. can't even explain it. Like this is why I want to talk to you about how I became him because yeah. the feeling that you have in your chest, like it's it's kind of like a sickness like a psychosis kind of thing. Oh, hundred percent. And yeah, like without going control. into my story because we don't have another two hours. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've definitely that resonates with me, and I hundred uh, percent get where you're coming from. It is. It's like a. It is a sickness. Like you feel sick in the stomach, yes. and you you know you, you the rumination. You just keep thinking. Well, yeah, it's just and it overcomes you, and it um can it overwhelms you, and it takes control of your actions and yeah yeah 100% yeah it's a, it's a complete protection mode you're trying to protect yourself mm. from feeling those things that you've been through in the past because your brain does that right in any part of your life but if you've yeah. been through trauma it's even worse that you you're actually trying to protect yourself from those things ever happening to you again and it becomes this crazy I think I said to you I became batshit crazy and <laughs> yeah I was I, I literally couldn't control myself so, so so let's so let's start the relationship so how long in did these did it start was it straight away or what kind of yeah no it wasn't straight away so so I went into this relationship like oh you know new fresh start kind of thing and uh I'd never been a jealous person before obviously because my partner got away with yeah <laughs> my husband got away with cheating with all those people so I, ne I never was somebody that ever checked or asked where are you going or what time are you going to be home or how come you're so late. I was never someone like that. If he was going away on a work trip, it wouldn't have even entered my mind that he was doing something. Yeah. So I went into the new relationship kind of the same way um, and it was really, you know, we were getting on really well at the start and everything was fun and going well and then uh, he... I caught him talking to his ex-girlfriend and planning behind my back to go see her. Yeah, and so that's, the, that's the trigger right there. Yeah. And then... And I lost my shit. Not to him, but internally. Yeah. I just... It felt like I was going to combust. <laughs> like yeah. I, my heart was racing. I felt sick to the stomach. Like you said, like you're gonna, you feel like you're going to vomit. Mm-hmm. And you can't control your breathing, your heart rate, not like you can't, yeah, I, yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah, and the anger just builds up in you. I think more than, it's more fear than anger. Just that fear and mm. that, that, you know, self-preservation. Self yeah, like, I can't have this happen again and I can't feel that humiliation that I, I think worse than the cheating is the fact that when you're lied to and you find out that you've been, you know, you feel like you're a joke mm. and it's that humiliation that, gets to you more than the actual hurt of being cheated on 
So yeah, I I just I just dropped the bundle at that point and I completely switched because I'd had this husband for 20 20 years who had been a really good teacher to me on how to control someone and manipulate them mm. to do what you want. Taught you everything you need to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like controlling one hundred and one. I've been that. I've been to that university. I did twenty yes, years there. <laughs> yes. So I I knew very well how to try and control his behaviour to make him not hurt me, and without me, like consciously knowing that I was repeating. Like I can look back at it now and know that that's exactly what I did. Mm. But in the, at in the moment back then, I. Th- wasn't a conscious thing at all that I actually thought that I was repeating his behavior it wasn't until it got really bad that I looked back and went holy shit I'm becoming him but at the beginning it just started out as if he'd come home and put his phone down and fall asleep or he'd go to the toilet I'd have his phone and I'd be scrolling through his messages to see who he'd talk to he'd be checking phone numbers like I'd even go to the point of ringing phone numbers that I didn't know from a private number (laughs) and checking them Mm. Um, I'm laughing about it, but it's not funny at all. Um, every time he would go to the pub with his mates, I'd, you know, I'd be asking, "Which pub are you going to? Who are you going with? Who's going to be there? Uh, anything? Any occasions where that I wasn't invited to, I would sit home and I would literally be panicked, thinking and running through all the scenarios." of what he could be doing because your head will, unless you teach it not to, your head will constantly kind of come up with a negative scenario, the worst case scenario, and it will play that out over and over. So you'll take, so the messaging that he was doing with his ex-girlfriend, everything that he'd done in those messages that I saw, I would imagine that that's what he's Mm. doing with a new girl at this venue or wherever he was at the time. And you kind of loop that fear over and over you'll create a story in your head of what you think's happening and you'll just loop that story over and over keep thinking about it and it will grow as you think about it and become something even worse mm. I've heard, have you heard the saying that uh, cr- uh anxiety is the like the worst form of creativity you know what i mean it takes, it takes oh, a very creative person to be able to come up with the stories that we tell ourselves yes so if you're a very creative person you're more likely to um, become anxious because you can create these magical stories yes. in your head. So I had the most the elaborate uh, movies going yeah, on in my head of all this uh, stuff that he was out there doing mm. and the poor guy was just probably sitting down having a drink with his mates, you know. Yeah. And I'd created this whole story that he'd met some girl and he was in the car with her and they were yeah. whatever they were doing. But, yeah, this these elaborate, yeah, that's such a good mm. a good way to look at it. But yeah, so so if I you don't use your creativity in positive sense, like music, art, or whatever, um, then because the way the brain works, it gets bored, and then it'll use creativity in a negative sense. So uh, you find people that were once really artistic, or if they stop doing that, then they tend to go down the wrong road. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how that could happen. Mm. Yeah, and it's because your brain can't tell the difference if you're imagining something. Your your subconscious doesn't know the difference between that is imagination or that's real. So you will actually, your whole body will react in a way that you are actually 
going through that process rather than just imagining it. Yeah, and generally you say yeah, you'll go back to that original trauma and feel that same feeling then. Yes. Now as what you did back then. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. 100%. So that's where your heart palpitations come from and mm. that sick feeling and you can sweat even, it gets so bad. Um, so, so yeah, that's what I was living with and then I kept it to myself. I wouldn't... I wasn't sure. Bit of a theme here. You the keep it to yourself, eh? Yeah, oh, no, no, that doesn't right? happen in your life very often. Oh, well, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's coming out, don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, I just I kept it all down. I didn't say anything to him, but I didn't want to tell him I was checking his phone either in the early stages. But then different things would come up that were bigger threats to me, uh, like a Bucks party, for instance, or a Christmas party with his tradie mates and stuff like that where you know there's going to be strippers there maybe or something, something that seems a really big threat to you. Mm. And then that's when I started like really becoming crazy and it went from the just secretive checking to um, me demanding that he be home at a certain time or checking his car when he got home to see if there's anything in there that shouldn't be in there. Yeah. Uh isn't it funny, right? So, ha- how many times would you have checked his phone? Okay, so, and if you don't find something 30 times, right, you think you'd be like, no, okay, well, I haven't found it. But that's not what happens, It's is it? not. You no. look more, you're like, there has to be something. It's like yes. you're convinced that there's something there, right? Yes. Um, and... And you'll find little things that might... And you'll obscure, you'll you'll switch them around to change it to suit your story, right? Because you've yes. got this narrative in your head going over and you'll make things suit your narrative. Yes. And we do that in life all the time, exactly. right? Exactly. I was just about to say <laughs> that. Yes. Um, and it's funny. So what will happen is because you can't find anything, then you will... Make stuff up. Make it up, you right? You find. And then you'll be like, see, I'm right, yes. right? And then you'll... And there must be I something must be, else. There's got to be more. So I've got to find more evidence and then you'll be more creative and find more stuff that's probably not there. And then, yeah. so. You'll always there's no, find there's, what you're looking for. Yeah, and there's them. no end in sight. Like, it doesn't matter what you find or don't find, you're not going to stop the behavior, right? Because nothing's yeah. going to satisfy that, yeah. that need. Yes. Mm. That need to protect yourself. Mm. Yeah. So it, it went from just the checking and the demanding and the... Like even I would check his bank accounts to see where where he'd spent money. Has he gone to a hotel with a with a girl? Has he like did he spend money on lingerie? Is he so I'd be checking his bank account. Yeah. And the sneaky way that I got all the passwords for these things as well, because you can be very creative when you're that scared, because <laughs> you you'll use whatever you need to to get access mm. to what. Yeah, of course. Um, I'll just say one story from like my past is I was seeing this girl and she was like the same and i remember uh, it was friday afternoon and i was like i was working one place in brisbane and uh we lived on the other side of brisbane right and i was like well me and the boys are just stopping into the pub on the way home like friday afternoon beers whatever and she was like oh okay and then we had a few beers or whatever and then i was like oh hey can you come pick us up and she's like oh okay, I'll come to the blah, blah. And I was like, I never told uh. you where I was. <laughs> but she went through every pub from my work to home, found the one that had strippers. And she was like, yeah, like, you what? boys on a Friday <laughs> afternoon. 
I was like, wow, like that's yeah. And me being me, no, you know, alarm bells should have been dinging, but no, they weren't um, dinging at all. The only thing dinging is me dinging my head. <laughs> anyway, oh, enough of that. Back to you. <laughs> Back to me. Where I was up to? Yeah. So it went from it went from the checking to the me losing my shit, and that's when my ex husband started. Oh, to so how did you get the password? Sorry, what was this little elaborate? How did you find the passwords? Oh, just just watching, just watching them type it in, or like pretending you're not looking when they're typing stuff in. You get write down the half that you got and wait to the <laughs> next time. Like you get one, get I'm one sure letter a, a day. A lot of people, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that have done this stuff, but um, but stop it, <laughs> yeah. stop it, okay? Yeah, um, yeah. So the one thing I want to say, and I've just already said it, is. If you're in this situation, just know that it doesn't matter what you find, you're not going to be satisfied. So you might as well not look. And you will find stuff that isn't there because you're looking for it, right? So you'll yeah. hone in on stuff that. So as hard as what it is in the moment, um, and it's easy for me to say just don't look, but, you know, because when you're all the emotions, whatever, the best thing to do is to find that peace, that presence, you know, use some breathing techniques uh, go out in nature or whatever you need to do to calm yourself down to get you out of that emotional state otherwise you will do actions that aren't congruent or aligned with who you are and you know what you want to be or whatever um and and then come back when you're in a state where you, know, you can withhold yourself from picking up the phone or doing whatever is that you no, because in the time, you still know you, you shouldn't be doing it, right? But you just do it yeah, anyway absolutely. because you're too filled with emotion. Yeah. So the trick is to get out of that emotion. The way to do that is through, you know, breathing or, or nature or whatever it is. And sometimes, you know, um, but I think the big thing I want to reiterate is, yeah, definitely there's nothing that's going to be on there that's going to help or, you know, I mean, it's, it's only going to be bad is what I'm trying to say. It's like There's yeah. no reason to pick yeah. that phone up. And if you do, it can only be bad. There's no positive outcome from picking that phone up. No. Mm. No. And I'm, I'm actually going to go through some NLP stuff that I heal myself with soon. Yeah. Um, to talk about what I did to heal myself. But I'll tell you how batshit crazy I got first. Yeah, okay. <laughs> into that so we, are, we aren't there yet, guys. <laughs> Just letting you know. Like we're, <laughs> we're at like halfway. Way worse <laughs> than that. Um, and I shouldn't be laughing about it because this is really bad behaviour. And and when it got to the point where I knew I was becoming my ex, I I had to pull myself up and that's why I went and studied NLP. That's what I'm going to be talking about. Yeah. But um, so it got to the point where I I found things on his phone that were probably very innocent but he had talked to girls who were probably just secretaries at work or something, but I'd called the number and it was a girl who answered. God knows who it was. Probably something completely innocent. Could have been a cousin or an auntie or anything. I, I yeah. didn't know, but um, it got to the point where I smashed his phone against the wall once and s just smashed it to pieces. Um, there was another time, like never, never got physical with him, but started breaking things. I remember I picked up a a fan once and smashed it on the ground and I would just rage. I would – I got to the point where the the anger and the the fear was – it was fear, it was mm. all fear, um, 
would build up in me so so much that it was like a it's like a volcano exploding like once it went off you couldn't stop yourself and you knew you had to you kind of like going pull back pull back but you can't stop mm. yourself and it's almost like you you have this explosion of emotion telling them why you're behaving the way that you are and then you'll kind of pull back and realize that you need to stop but you'll walk away from the situation and then go and sit with what you've done and feel that you need to you need to go back in <laughs> and explain why you did it so you go back in a few minutes later but then it explodes even more and it becomes even worse where you you're telling them that it's your fault that like I wouldn't be like this if you hadn't betrayed me that time like it's it's you're the reason I act this way mm. if you didn't behave the way that you did or it's if you projection. didn't go the go yeah. to these places I wouldn't have to worry and it's it's your behavior in the past that's made me like this so so he obviously knew about your past and your you know I mean obviously cuz you yeah. put it together at any point did he try and talk to you and say look you're turning into or like was there any kind of or would you not listen or like was there any discussion or communication around that at all no not really he was he was just trying to defend himself and tell me you know you're crazy why are you thinking this stuff and i remember in that like during that time i started thinking to myself my god this is what he used to do to me like i would watch him be so because when you when you're going through that stuff you actually look at that partner and you're like you feel so helpless in the moment because there's nothing you can say <coughs> to calm them down mm. and there's nothing you can say to defend your actions because no matter what you say, they'll have something to come back at you with. Yeah. And like I said, I'd had a master teacher at this, so I was completely repeating all of the behaviours that I'd lived with for 20 years and that's when I started thinking, my God, I've got to stop this, but I couldn't. I couldn't stop it. And it was either I leave this guy to stop it mm. um but i didn't want to and so it just continued and yeah so so when it got so bad that i was smashing things and acting out like violently not to him but um i thought that was probably the next step yeah and we'd have a um you know johnny depp and amber heard situation <laughs> um on our hands and i was so he won scared. by the way I saw, I saw that. Um, yeah, but I I knew that's where I was going and I had to stop myself. Okay, so was any of this done in front of or your kids or did they see this or get affected or was there any communication with them about any of this? Or yeah, that? no, because no? I was so protective of my kids going through the stuff they'd gone through with their dad that I made sure that this, that was one thing that I made sure, and I think. So that was like the line, you know. What I mean, you're happy to do this behaviour, well, but I was the line was happy, I couldn't do it in front yeah. of the kids. So yeah. that was kind of like it was your, always if I was talking to him about it or losing my shit about it, it would be in the bedroom with the door shut, or when they weren't home, or I would I would even like hold myself. I could hold that fear and that feeling in my chest for a couple of hours till I had the chance to explode. Yeah. So at least I was able to contain it, but it was still, it's it's like it's an absolute psychosis. Like you cannot stop yourself from that behaviour. Mm. And I knew I had to do it. I had to find something. So I started 
researching online um, programs and things that you could do to change your behaviour and I found NLP, so I s- which is Neuro Linguistic Programming, which teaches you how to take... Because everything, everything that you ever hear in your life or trauma that you've been through implants itself on you like a like a hard drive in your computer yeah and if you don't ever address that stuff it'll keep coming up time after time so yeah uh yeah i signed up i signed up for this course it was a training course to help other people but i signed up to do it for me and so did your partner know like, was this the thing that you communicate with him or do you just went did for you did you say you're doing it for yeah, him I and you and sort of yeah yeah I I did, like, I, when I wasn't being a psychopath, (laughs) I would communicate to him how I didn't like the way that I behaved and I wanted to stop. And, and for anyone listening, like, the, when you behave like that, and I used to feel like this when I was with my husband, he was so afraid of losing me, but his behaviour was pushing me further and further away. And they're scared of you, like, being in contact with other, um, like, other guys in my case or other girls in my husband's case, they're afraid of you being in a position where you'll be around other people that you may potentially be attracted to, but their behaviour makes you more attracted to other people Mm. because you see them being fun or laid back or whatever and you start thinking, like, you may really love them and not want to leave them, but when that behaviour continues on and on again, you do start looking at other people thinking... I could be with someone like that instead of this crazy person that I've got at home. So I knew that was happening in my case as well, that I was the crazy person at home and that if he was – and I think that makes you even more afraid because you know that. Every road leads to one destination, you know what I mean? Yes, and it always leads back to controlling them to do what you want so that you don't lose them. Yeah. And whatever that takes, whatever it takes. And, yeah, so I had to stop. So, yeah, I went I went and done this NLP course and it was life-changing, absolutely life-changing. So they – and I want to share a couple of techniques that I used for anyone who, like me, yeah. <laughs> became, became – Like you was in batshit crazy? Yes, or <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> So a couple of the things that you can use. So you were talking about, um, I'm not sure because I've talked to you a few times, I'm not sure if it was on the podcast that w- today, but um, we talked about eye movement, was it? Yeah, rapid eye movement, yeah. Yeah, so I this wasn't an NLP thing, but I found it really interesting and it, it really does help when you're looping those negative stories all mm. the time in your mind and you're creating those stories um, and thinking about the worst case scenario that's, that might be happening, and this isn't only for, um, you know, DV situations, but any time in your life where you're 100%. thinking about the negative thing. Um, I was taught to move your eyes back and forward rapidly, back and forward. Yeah, so just so people at, people at home that are listening, back and forward means side to side, so left <laughs> to right. <laughs> Uh, not up and down. Um, Doing just the hand to, movements, just, just but you cla- can't see me. Just to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep going. And it was explained that if when you are, this comes back to even like in the hunting when we used to hunt, mm. when you're moving forward and you're, or when you're scared, 
you'll think about all of the all of the things that might happen to you in your head so you're not actually moving forward but when your body is in forward motion your mm-hmm. eyes are moving back and forward looking around at your surroundings and when you get stuck in your head with negative beliefs you're actually it's like you are stuck mm. so there's no forward momentum you're actually like frozen in time in that thought that you're having yeah so by moving your eyes back and forward it takes you into that predator mode where you're actually moving through life and it actually stops that looping of negative thoughts yeah it's impossible actually and i've tried it a few times when it was happening to me it's impossible to think through a negative thought pattern when you're moving your eyes side to side so you just keep doing it until that that thought goes away yeah and so just so people know like there's been massive studies on this and it's something that's really popular uh, at the moment, I know there's plenty of other podcasts that talk about it. And yeah, so I know it sounds so simple and you think, man, that's not going to, you know what I mean? Like when yeah. you're in the depths of like that you know, rumination or, um, but yeah, there is like a ton of um, scientific literature that backs up um, what we're saying. So yeah, feel free to check it out yourself, but it's definitely backed up by science. Yeah, yeah. there's lots of there's lots of clips on YouTube and stuff that you can look up about it as yeah. well that will explain it properly. But this is another reason really why, for work. me, I love surfing. So surfing, your swimming, your ocean, one hundred percent takes away all your negative ions because you're, you know, what I mean. But then when you're going out surfing, right, you're scanning the horizon for waves, so you're constantly doing that naturally. So, um, yeah, I can't recommend surfing enough. <laughs> <laughs> Tried it once, got smacked in the well. Tried it a few <laughs> times, but nearly died once. <laughs> I gave it up after that. Would like to take it up again though. Yeah. So the other the other thing that really works for me is perceptual positioning, and that's when you take yourself and you put yourself into the position of the other person and you look back at yourself. Mm. So you can just just lay quietly somewhere, think back to a situation where. You, that you've had um, where things went wrong. And this, again, isn't just for DV. It could be anything. Yeah. But you can – it worked. I used it also with the um, the memory that I had of the sexual abuse as a child where I took myself out of my own body and put myself into the body of the abuser and of my father and looked at the situation from other people's perspective to get a like a – 360 degree understanding of everything that happened and everybody's emotions that went into that Mm. but um if you've got this uh, if you're really jealous and you take yourself and you're you're acting out the way i was doing uh the first time i did it i took myself back to a situation where i just i'd lost my shit over a somewhere where he was going i can't remember exactly where it was but he was going somewhere i wasn't going i was really scared of what might happen there and when he left, because um, I'd learnt this te- technique and obviously hadn't healed enough yet to stop my behaviour, but uh, because I had that tool, I went and and just sat in the room quietly and shut my eyes and took myself back to that position and I put myself into his body and watching back at me at my behaviour and it scared me. Like I thought, my God, that's so embarrassing and mm. humiliating to see myself behaving in that way and it lets you sit inside there 
body and feel the emotions that they would have felt having that thrown at them. And the emotions that I got back was him feeling untrusted, um, that he was being unfairly treated, that he he just wants to go out and have a good night with his mates and I am throwing all of this guilt and shame on him. Mm. Um, and if you're somebody that's not doing anything and you're having that constantly thrown at you, just looking back at yourself and your behaviour, just it really makes you understand the feelings that they have looking at that. Yeah. So that that's really helpful if you can do that because if you c- every time you every time you act out if you can sit quietly and take yourself out of your own body and put yourself into the person that you've you've mistreated yeah. and watch yourself back like play it back exactly how it had happened but from the other person's perspective looking back at yourself yeah it it's a huge eye opener yeah well that's um I suppose that is the root of compassion or empathy. That's the whole saying of, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah. Um, And you do, you get to see uh, life or actions at a different perspective and it gets you out of your own head, which is exactly what we need to do because when you're in your own head, like you said, you get real creative and you can make up any elaborate story or whatever and... Um, it takes away the justification as well. So we, as a self-preservation, we'll justify our actions to ourselves. Oh, well, I'm doing it because, you know what I mean? And you'll tell yourself whatever it is you need to believe to, to keep your actions, you know, to in line with who you think you are. So I, you, know, you can make up enough stories, but if you pull yourself out and put yourself into someone else, there's not that whole... Um, facade just is taken away. So you yeah. can't, you know, you can't justify anything mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And that's the power of it. Yeah. And not just looking looking at the behaviour but feeling the feelings that that person would be feeling in that moment as well. It's really powerful. Mm. Yeah. I, d- I actually, when they explained it to me when I was learning it, I was like, mm, can that really work? But when you actually sit down and you do it, it's amazing how, how powerful it is. Yeah. To look at yourself and feel the emotions of somebody else through their eyes. So yeah, I recommend that one. Yeah. To anyone to anyone that's acting like that. Yeah. That that was So do you still use these techniques today for anything? I don't else? have to. I'm cured. <laughs> 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 I am. I could actually Done. say Yeah, I don't I don't care anymore. Yeah. I really don't care. He goes to the pub on a Friday night now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> And cool. I don't care. I don't even care. Yeah, so you're still with this person now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Took a long time. And it was a rough road, but... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how, So like, get us look at a time frame. What's a time frame for, you know, from where you first went to start working on yourself to where you're kind of like, okay, he can go to the pole, do whatever he wants, and I'm, I'm fine? Um, it didn't take that long, actually. When I used when I because there's there's a couple of other things I used as well but yeah probably took probably about six months but I would say maybe after two months it was really starting to a lot better get better okay so and you mentioned some other tools so don't hold out on the listeners now <laughs> what, what other tools we got that's what we're all about here at Nirvana is giving people 
practical tools and ways to deal with anything that you may be going through. Yeah, so another really good one is it's called the swish. They call it in NLP, but what uh, it is, is Tony Robbins talks about this one. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so that negative behavior that we or the negative um, imagination that we were talking about, where you make up all the negative stories or the worst case scenario stories that of what might be happening, or of what like I even use this with my kids. Like if they're going to do a talk at school the next day and they're really scared and nervous about having to do it, I'll get them to tell me why they're scared and they'll explain to me that they're imagining the kids in the crowd laughing at them or them forgetting their words or um, what they're talking about isn't interesting enough. I get them to explain all the things, all the fears that they have about it yeah, and then get them to turn that around to the opposite. So I would sit them down and get them to close their eyes and imagine the kids in the audience laughing and clapping at the end um the teacher patting them on the back telling them what a great job they did of them going through the speech doing it all correctly and not Mm. messing up and just changing that that imagined future to something else so you just completely switch it to something else yeah and if every time, if you can create that in your head, if you can sit down quietly and create that different future vision compared to your worst case scenario vision that you've already made up, because you create it like a movie in your head, right? Yeah. It's what you do. So you create a new movie that's the positive side. And then every time that that negative movie starts to play in your head, you go, okay, I'm. you can, you can create things in your head like, a computer screen where you drag that movie and drop it into your waste basket or something. Yeah. And then bring the new movie in. You can use any kind of tricks in your head to as as a system of what you do when that negative pattern comes back. Yeah. Um, in NLP, they taught to get the picture and then you take the picture to the side and bring the new picture in. But it's it's the computer screen that I use. If a negative thought pattern comes up, I just click on it and delete it. <laughs> and then I bring the new one in. Yeah, and just yeah, reinstall. And play that out. And I play the new improved positive vision because I'm really good at creating these movies in my head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll create, like, yeah, I'll bring in the, the new positive version and I'll go into great detail of looking at all the positives that are mm. happening, play it out in my head and... Sometimes during the positive, the negative one will just pop back in. But you just have to go, no, nah, delete. Mm. Delete if it pops in. Because your head's really good at yeah, of course. trying yeah. to say, hey, but remember this. But remember this. But remember this could happen. Yeah. Because we need to protect you. So I'm going to keep bringing that negative one in because you need to protect yourself. Yeah. And then you'll play your positive one. It'll go, hey, but remember this one. So you've got to really um, use your mind to keep getting that negative one out and playing that positive one. But if you practice at it, it really only takes yeah, like a couple of months of doing that continually before you train your mind to think positively rather than negatively. And it kind of happens by default after you train yourself how to mm. do it. So you've created that new, that new neural um, pathway or that new neural circuitry in your brain. So when the negative pops up, your brain automatically thinks of the positive because you've trained it yeah. to do that. Yeah. 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 yeah it's amazing it's how, cool. how yeah. it happens. 
because I didn't think that was ever a possibility for me in the in the craziness that I was in. Yeah. When people talk about you just need to think positively in life. How do you do that? Yeah. How do you do that? Because I've had so many years of crap go on in my life that I thought, how could I even think positively? But, yeah, it is training. You can, like, it is just like a computer, like wiping that hard drive and putting a new program in. Yeah. And the old program, like you said, might pop up every now and again, but you just got to keep reinstalling that yeah. new one. Yeah. And after a while, like, I don't have to delete that negative um, that negative story doesn't come in for me anymore. Like I've done it for so long now. The longer you do it, the negatives don't actually pop back in anymore. Yeah. For me. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> so what other areas of your life have you used these tools? Um, oh, in every every area. Everything that I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a big question now. So doing this podcast, you have decided to remain anonymous. Yes. Um, What is the story that you're telling yourself why (laughs) you can't release this and be in it? What's the movie that you're playing (laughs) right (laughs) now? Yeah, okay, so I haven't fixed it completely, (laughs) all right. (laughs) I'm close, though, I'm close. That's a big trauma, though. Well, I I had this guy hold a gun to my head. I was so close to dying. Mm. And, like, in that, in that moment when that happened to me, I was, I had given up all hope for myself and it was just really preservation for my children making sure they were safe Mm. and that's the fear having to go through that again because it it is and it it is a huge risk to me still yeah yeah but do you think it's something that you could get to in the future and i suppose after listening to everything and you know there's a big theme of you not speaking up in your life and you know, running these stories or whatever, and from where I'm sitting, this seems like this. This is the next hurdle for you to tackle because this is the same theme. Like you're, you're, you've gone to the step of giving your voice and you're saying it, but you're still hiding behind the veil of I don't want people to know because of whatever, which has been the whole yeah. theme of your life. Yeah. No. Know what it's going to take to get over it. Yeah, because it's not just a fear of something psychological happening, but it's an actual physical threat to my life. So yeah, it's a bit trickier. And I, I know from past experience that no amount of police or domestic violence orders are going to stop that from happening. Yeah, It's a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky one. But I did, I did think it was so important to share. Like, I know people talk about de- domestic mm. violence all the time, but for me to have seen it from both sides, hundred percent, to have become that person, that's very valuable. So you've seen all aspects and all things around it. So, um, so I got to actually, I actually got to feel the way that he must have felt in those mm. moments. Yeah, and having been 
a guy who, like, I don't want to get into the whole gender, you know, um, <laughs> argument here, but, you know, men are usually, you know, testosterone-fueled and, and stronger and more threatening most times. But But when I became like that, even though I wasn't physically violent, I was still scary like my partner was still scared of me yeah um and he was afraid to do what he wanted to do he was afraid to go out with his mates he was you know i had potentially like cut him off from his life as he knew it yeah through through my behavior and women do that as well all the time Mm. so even though it wasn't physical violence and i know women can be physically violent as well yeah, I thought it was really important to tell the story because I felt I felt that anger and I know how hard it is to stop. And it is like a sickness. It's not it's not something that you can just say, Hey, stop doing that because it is something that you really actually need to reach out and get help for. Whether you do a program like I did or whether you see a psychologist to help you through it or whatever you need, but you need to get help because it's not gonna go away. Yeah. I hate to think what I would have like what would have come of my behaviour if I hadn't gotten help mm. because it would have escalated. Yeah, and I suppose um, the fact that you did go through the previous one, if that wouldn't have happened, then you probably wouldn't have got to a point where you did anything about it because you wouldn't have seen the other side, right? So yeah, like maybe. that's an important part of your journey. And I suppose um, that's where that technique that you say you put yourself in the other, you know, that's essentially doing that you know what i mean yeah. so as bad as what it was um that time of your life that needed to happen for you to get to a point on this new one where you would change you know yeah. so yeah. i suppose that's the little silver lining um and i'm sure there's there's a lot of people out there that are behaving like this right now because they say one in three women go through this so i can imagine i mm. can imagine there's a lot of men going through it as well with women that became like or are like I became. Um, just it's not going to stop unless you get help. It just isn't. Mm. Yeah, so, well, that's... Um, I know what I was going to say. I kind of lost my track of, <laughs> train of thought there for a second. Um, I was going to say because because I'd seen it from the other side... I was, I was like it just exactly like you said. I was able to see that I was repeating that pattern. But if you if you're doing it and you can't see yourself through another person's eyes, or you haven't seen somebody else behave like that and see how bad it is, and how badly it affects you and your mental health, you won't see it as a problem in yourself. Mm. You will just see it as that self preservation, and you'll just can keep continuing that behavior because you haven't been able to see it from the other side yeah definitely yeah so okay we've we've talked about so much stuff on this podcast and i want to say thank you so much for coming along and sharing your story it's absolutely um incredible what you've been able to endure uh and come out the other side of if you um had one suppose one key takeaway or one thing if you could just you know install one thing into someone's mind that's going through anything like this what would be the one above all like what would be the one thing you think 
Can I give you two? Yep. <laughs> for, I think, for people who are going through this, who are living with this from somebody else, you need to get out. I think we talked about this earlier. Mm. It was so long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that if you stay in the position, you are just teaching them that it's okay to keep teaching you or keep yeah. doing that behaviour over and over, that you really need to get out and, and save yourself um, and don't teach them that it's okay to keep behaving like that. Yeah. And you might feel losing them and them going on and be a, being a better human to somebody, to the next person because you've taught them that lesson. But if you stay with that person, it's just going to get worse and worse. Yeah. Um, or get them to get help if they'll agree to that. And that was that's my other point is if you if you're going through the signs and you know that you're a perpetrator of control or manipulation or violence, you really need to go out and get help. And you can heal from it. You can actually change the way you behave, and you'll be so much happier. Like I used to when I was doing the behavior, used to think. I was I was scared to stop that behavior because I was scared of what would happen if I stopped. Mm. Like because that gave him the freedom to do something that would potentially hurt me. But then so once again like that's the story, right? Yes. Whereas the real story of in reality is you're pushing them away, you're doing you're basically pushing them to do the thing that you're so much afraid of because yes. you're acting that way, right? Yes. So because and then when it actually does happen, this is the problem, see? So we, when we're in that moment, right, we're going through all these things, like, are they doing this? And you have these elaborate, you know, things of what they're doing. Yeah. And they're not doing any of it, right? And then you push them, you push them, you push them, you push them, you push them. Sure enough, they crack. They, they yes. finally do it. Then you're like, see, I, I was right you. the whole time. Yes. And then your brain then goes, I'm 100% right yes. this whole time. And then that behavior then gets deeper into your subconscious and it is stronger than ever because you'll finally were right even though the whole time you're wrong mm -hmm. that one time you're right it then goes see i knew it and that's a very dangerous place to be in because then the next one you'll be even yes. worse right yes. so um yeah what is was it the buddha or dalai lama was you know if you love something like you, you can let it go right yeah. you don't if you hold too tight like a butterfly you'll crush it yeah and that's what you do when you're trying to hold someone into your life, you know I mean? Yes. Let them go. And if they are meant to be there, if they want to be there, then yeah. you, know, you don't want to be in a relationship where they have to be there. Right? That's not love. That's... Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. Um, and that, that actually brings me back to another thing. So this this changing up the story in your head, that was one of the powerful things that I did was change the story of what would happen if I lost him. Because I, I had this whole scenario played out that pretty much followed the same pattern of what I went through when I lost my husband, losing the house and the loss that you feel of having nothing and them going on and finding somebody else and um, that, whole, that whole story that you build up about what happens after you lose this person or if they betray you, what happens or what am I going to go through? Yeah. So I created a new story of what would happen when we broke up yeah and i created this elaborate fabulous new life for myself if we did break up yeah so it, it wasn't all doom and gloom fear, yeah, yeah it stopped that fear of oh my god if i leave him or if he leaves me my life's going to end and built a whole new reality for my future without him that was that was fabulous 
So now my fear of losing him isn't there anymore. Mm. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great takeaway. Yeah, well, I think um, we've covered so much uh, on this podcast and I just want to say thank you and thank you for your courage and bravery and I'm sure listeners uh, in the same position would definitely get a lot of value out of this, which is uh, absolutely incredible. So uh, thank you for your time. Karen, was it? Karen or Brian? (laughs) (laughs) Or Haley? I can't remember now. (laughs) (laughs) It was so long ago. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And um, yeah. Thank Uh, you to anyone that's stuck in and listened to this for three hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Neuroinvital podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe. Also, if you'd like to know a bit more about us, uh, jump on Instagram, Nirvana underscore, and Nirvana on Facebook. Also, if you'd like to check out our services and if we can help you in any way, jump on our website, nirvana.com.au.